Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. And I stumble to the kitchen Pour myself a cup of ambition And yawn and stretch and try to come to life Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from nine to five Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that does for comic book movies what Green Lantern did for Deadpool 2. I'm Joe Cunningham and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... Sir Patrick and James Hunt. Do you see how I recycled an old gag and did it all over again? <laughs> <laughs> we'll discuss the latest comic book movie and TV news before diving into... Well, no, we won't. We'll skip the latest comic book movie and TV news um, before diving into our spoiler-filled discussion of the guy who killed John Wick's dog's 2018 movie, Deadpool 2. Are we are we gonna are we gonna be aping the Deadpool voice the whole podcast because that might wear quite thin? <laughs> it might it, it might wear quite thin. That's just a gag I lifted straight from the movie. <laughs> um, normally, before any of that, I would ask Seven James to explain to me something uh, that I don't know about. But as we've discovered, that's becoming increasingly difficult. Uh, but this week, we just wanted um, to take um, this time to instead talk about um, someone who we lost this week. And that's Margot Kidder, who passed away at the age of 69. And Seb, I know you particularly wanted to say a few words about um, about cinema's first Lois Lane. No, that's probably not true, is it? Definitely most iconic. Yeah, definitely most iconic. Um, you know, and, and it's one of those actually where I, I, I started to see, thankfully not too much of it, but you get that thing where somebody famous dies who is really heavily associated with a particular role. And then you get the people who start to talk about the other stuff that they did, but they do it in such a way of, oh, how come you're only talking about this one famous role? Don't you know that they did all of this other stuff? And that may may have been true of Margot Kidder, but I I really don't think there's anything wrong in knowing and celebrating her as Lois Lane because she was so amazing at it. It was a, a brilliant and iconic role that she so completely inhabited, Um, you know, one of the main reasons why those movies are so great is the charm of Christopher Reeve, but a lot of it, especially in the first one, is the the natural charm of Margot Kidder and and the chemistry that that she had with Christopher Reeve. Um, you know, she really made that character, and and it's one of those performances and and one of those kind of ways of both writing and performing a character 
that really had such an effect on how the character was then portrayed in the comics afterwards. Like so much of what makes comics Lois great happened after Superman 78. And we, um, we see that happening quite a lot now in 2018, don't we? Mm. That like these movies are so big that they do kind of change what's on the page. But I guess you know back back in the 70s, that was like that was the the first example. Yeah, and you know the thing with Lois, it, it's easy to kind of make a joke around around Lois Lane, and, and you know obviously the fact that she starred in a comic that was literally called Superman's Girlfriend, Lois Lane. You know she she's the archetypal. Um, you know, female love interest character who who only exists to be a love interest for the superhero. You know, she's the character who's most routinely mocked for not being able to tell that Clark Kent and Superman were the same, um, even though you know you, you know full well that that she did know. Um, and but post Margot Kidder, what I think Lois became, and it's an interpretation that has pretty much stayed true ever since, is she is a character who. Superman happened to drop into her life and become a part of her life, but not the only part. And I'm going to quote uh, Kim Newman actually tweeted this, which I thought was a fantastic observation, where he said, um, I think I love about Margot Kidder's Lois Lane is that she gives the impression that being Superman's girlfriend is in the top 10 things in her life, but not the top five. Yeah. <laughs> it, there is. So when I think about Lois Lane, and this probably comes from you know, the the screen depictions dating back to Margot Kidder and the ones that have been influenced by her. I don't think of someone who is, you know, a, a bit of a ditz who can't figure out that Clark and Superman are the same person. I think of her as this highly capable, whip-smart, um, like, top-of-her-field journalist um, who is, like, who is intellectually a match for Superman. Um, and yeah, and, and, and kind of in a way, kind of like out of his league, a bit too good for him, if you know what I mean. Mm. Um, and, and, and yeah, that does, that does go back to Margot Kidder and you can see it in Terry Hatcher's performance in, um, in Lois and Clark. I saw she tweeted about, about Margot Kidder's passing and kind of paid tribute. Um, but it's, it's very much there. And then just the idea in, in the Snyderverse of, Lois being a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, that seems to me as well to mm. to be a natural follow on from what Maga Kidder's character was. It's, and, it's, and, and on the on the flip side, I think as well that the the reason why people were so disappointed by Kate Bosworth in Superman Returns is because that was supposed to be the same character that Maga Kidder yeah. played, and it and it wasn't. It was a she she couldn't do what Maga Kidder did. No. And I mean, I, I think, you know, it's sort of Margot Kidder's Lois is, is the point at which Lois, it transforms from um, it's all about Lois chasing after Superman and Clark chasing after Lois. It's like that kind of eternal triangle. What it actually becomes is Clark and Superman both chasing after Lois. It's, you know, obviously she's interested in him, but the, you know, the point is, you know, Superman is like this, this pinnacle of, okay, he's not human, but you know, this pinnacle of humanity. Um, and he's completely in love with Lois, but it's just that, you know, he can't be with her as Superman. Um, and yeah, you know, she was probably the first to really sell that character as someone who you could imagine someone who's essentially a god coming to Earth and feeling that way about. Um, you know, she got she got to have fun with it, I think, as well. Just, you know, um, she gets to be the sort of the wisecracking fun character out of the various characters in those films. So I know we talked about on the podcast that 
she she's kind of there giving a performance for the first one and a half movies and you can you can kind of see points at which she's dis- you know when they're filming the the uh oh, god I've lost the name it was the director of Superman 2 uh the the Richard Donner stuff versus the Richard Lester stuff yes yeah when you you can kind of see her a bit more disengaged can't you in the in the Lester stuff mm. But I kind of, I watched that and I kind of respect her more for it, that she was, like, mm-hmm. she, you, you can tell that Margot Kidder had spunk and attitude as an actress. <sighs> the fact that she was, like, so, that that she she felt like it, like it was a slight betrayal of what had happened to Donna. And... Mm. Well, it's the thing as well, like, as well as how good she is in the films, like, just as a person, there was so much to her. She was fascinating. Um, I've been working on something that has involved reading and writing a lot about the people uh, involved in and making one of the Superman films. Uh, And that's involved kind of writing about her and kind of writing her as a character. Um, And she's been one of the most fun because um, she, she worked so well as the kind of whip smart wisecracking sort of kind of seen it all before character kind of, you know, cynical, but not unpleasant kind of cynical, but playful with it. Um, you know, and I know that on Superman four, obviously, you know, she came into that film and was was told that she couldn't be a love interest for Christopher Reeve, um, even though, and I'm not sure what the difference in age is, but it's because I don't have Christopher Reeve's age in front of me. But it, it, it wasn't very much; he wasn't that much older than her. But by the time of Superman four, like apparently she couldn't be the love interest. Lois had to be almost kind of this like sister-like character. But what she did do was kind of on set, she became very friendly with Mariel Hemingway and was kind of like a mentor figure to her. You know, we know she had a, a really um, interesting kind of often kind of up and down friendship with Christopher Reeve, but though at times they were very close friends and supportive of each other. Um, and, you know, obviously, I mean, it wasn't a great time for her, but what happened to her in the 90s, I think, was actually a really important moment in terms of public understanding of the illness that she had. Um, you know, we weren't used to seeing that happen to celebrities in quite that way. And I think people started to kind of maybe a little bit more understand what like bipolar disorder was and and that kind of thing. You know, say not saying it was a good thing that that happened to her, but I think it it did give people that bit of understanding, and you know, people were kind of supportive of her as a result of that. Um, and then you know, she'd kind of carried on working um, quite a lot after that as well. So yeah, I, I'm I, I'm taking it safe, but occasionally for me, there is there is a celebrity who passes who I'm. I I'm I'm suddenly like hit after the facts like, oh I didn't realize I don't think I realized until now quite what a kind of a, emotional attachment I had to that yeah. public figure who I've never met and and I I got it really strangely um, after Harold Ramis passed mm. um, and I, I I take it that this is kind of one of those for you yeah and I think and. I think because a part of it as well is because Christopher Reeve's not with us and hasn't been for quite some time. Mm. It's when you now look at the two of them in that film and realize that they're both gone that it's, it is almost, it's it's not that it's not just about her, but it is like, you know, if he was still around, I think it would feel slightly different, but Mm. you know, it's, it is a real kind of end of an era thing for somebody for whom those films and especially the first one is as important as they are. 
and you know she she delivered what is still probably the greatest line delivery in in any of these superhero movies right so that was that was Margot Kidder who sadly passed away this week at the age of 69 uh we are going to take a hard about turn now though because we're going to <laughs> we're going to have to start talking about um, Deadpool 2 which was released this week um the it, the director is David Leach um I uh, earlier humorously gave uh the credit that he's given in the opening credits of Deadpool 2 uh David Leach who uh yeah was one of the directors of John Wick and came in to replace John Miller uh T- Tim Miller wasn't it who directed the first Deadpool um who fell out with Ryan Reynolds about the vision for this movie um and yeah and so now we have Deadpool 2 and we didn't do this for Infinity War but I think we're going to go back to it for this episode let's do our spoiler free thoughts on the movie before before we get into things um in, into things in real spoilery territory and James uh let's come to you first because I watched this movie, I tweeted you this last night, and as we were driving home, I said uh, I said to my wife, I said, I bet James absolutely fucking loved that. <laughs> <laughs> you were 100% correct. Because <laughs> I always try and stay away from like what you guys have thought about a movie before, mm. uh, when we're doing a new one. I try and stay away from what you guys have thought about it because I want to come into the podcast fresh and like sometimes it's fun just to be surprised what you think. But I was like, <laughs> I was like, there's, uh, there's, there's not going to be any surprise here, James. That's I, I just knew that it was going to be pushing the buttons, even more of the buttons that than we thought thought from the trailer. It really like it, it, it kind of doubled down on that and it did a lot of X Men stuff that I can only imagine you adored. Yeah, completely. I mean. It- my sort of official line on this film is that it checked out most of the stuff I didn't like about the first and replaced it with all the stuff that I liked about it. So it was basically like, I rewatched the first Deadpool a few weeks ago and I didn't really revise my opinion of it in thinking like about half of it is really good and half of it is stupid. And all the stuff that was most stupid, they got rid of and replaced it with just the kind of, in jokes and meta references and sort of comic pieces like comedy pieces sorry i should say that i completely loved i don't i can't remember the last time i had this much of a good time watching a film like i just laughed like a bastard the whole way through <laughs> <laughs> um seb i i i am less clear on mm-hmm. how you felt about this movie but here was my guess that you liked it less than james but more than me, but really didn't like the TJ Miller bits. <laughs> I didn't mind the TJ Miller bits, and he's not. I don't think he's in it enough to, for you to start to feel uh, angry about his presence. I do he's, think I that just, he's, he's, kind of he's there say, less than the first movie, though. He is there less than the first movie. I do mm. kind of want to say that when I saw it in the cinema, there like the audience were really on side with the film, but when TJ Miller was on. It was sort of dead silent. What kind of what was going? I don't feel like they would have all known about him. What kind of screening were you at? I was at just a public screening, but you know, just a normal. You know, I paid actual money to go. But when Um, when he was on screen, people were just silent. uh, My my screen laughed at the stuff he said. I think (laughs) I've said it before. Tj Tj Miller might be a terrible human being. 
but I think he is a funny guy. And I think that this is, for him, quite a restrained performance, but still quite a funny one. Hmm. Um, anyway. Yeah, well, I uh, I mean, you're, you're right about less than James, but more than you, but I still think closer to James than you. And and my, my kind of line on it is that I think that it does the jokes significantly better than the first film, but it does the action and structure and pacing nowhere near as well as the first film. And what this means is that I admire the first film more, and I was surprised at the extent to which I, I did quite like the first film, uh, but I like this one so much more because, yeah, I I spent so much of it in absolute bits because it's you know there is still stuff that's and and like james i do feel like the weakest humor in the film is the stuff that feels like it comes from the first film i think you could completely cut out not only weasel but also blind al um and the film would not be any worse off at all um but everything that is about making this film just one massive joke about comics and comic book movies and it kind of makes you realize that while we, we we kind of applauded the first film for that the first film did not do that to the extent that this does um you know this pulls in references to from across the genre and it's like you know there are a couple of gags and there is one gag in particular that we'll talk about in the spoiler section that we have, James and I have compared notes and in our respective screenings we were the only person laughing raucously out loud at it um the fact that it's it is actually rooted in the comic stuff and it feels like a comic and that's what feels weird to me is how much i enjoyed it because it feels like a deadpool comic and it feels like an early 90s x-men or x-force comic and i don't like either of those things <laughs> but i was so enraptured by the fact that in the year 2018 we have reached a point with this genre where someone can do that and someone can throw in these characters and someone can throw in one particular character who i won't name because i didn't know they were in the film um until they were um i think they had been kind of minorly announced they're relatively minor part but when i saw that that character was who that character was i was just like all bets are off in terms of what this film is allowing itself to do and it did loads of really unexpected things you know i think there's a lot of stuff that the trailers don't give you um and i absolutely love how they did cable because again we'll go into this more in the spoiler section but the impression that I got from those trailers was 100% right, which is that every moment that Cable is on screen, they play him completely sincerely while all the rest of the film is going on around him. And that works perfectly. And it just makes me really keen to see another Cable and Deadpool film. And I can't believe I'm saying those words. I've never liked any Cable or Deadpool comic, ever. Well, this is ever. the thing, though, isn't it? Like, I, I still have not read many Deadpool comics I would consider even remotely readable. Like, I think the Fabian Nicieza Cable and Deadpool series, ironically, is the hmm. closest I've ever come to reading and enjoying a series that, you know, starred De- Deadpool. But this movie, in its complete, like, lack of reverence for the superhero genre mm. sort of really and i think it's to what i find funny yeah it it feels like the right kind of piss taking because i think you could you could be trying to do almost exactly what this film <laughs> oh, does what, what, what was their spoof film oh superhero, superhero movie, movie yeah. yeah which actually isn't the worst of those but it's not very <laughs> That's a good low bar. 
Um, but yeah, like this just. It's one of those where you almost every joke you're okay. These people actually know what they're talking about, and there's there's a reason for the jokes to be that particular joke. It's not just here's a reference to a film that you've seen, um, and yeah, it's just you know. I mean, it it has flaws. It has flaws that we'll get into, um, but I just had such a good time watching it. Um, it's too long, but. Um, for most of it I was really entertained so can't really complain <laughs> and the again don't want to say too much now but the post credits sequence is astonishing ah, so beautiful. better <laughs> it's better than the movie itself like, I, I laughed I laughed more in the post credit sequence than I did in the actual movie um I, I I thought it was fine you guys I thought it was really I thought it was kind of I it, for me it felt like the the, the first film again, but with a higher budget. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't know whether it's maybe that I don't have the same reverence for uh, the comic book references that you guys do, because I thought that the hit rate of the jokes was pretty much on a par with the first one, that I would be in hysterics with one joke, but then, like, for the next five minutes, I I hadn't... I just, I, I just thought a, a bunch of them fell flat. Um, I think the action was like, I think it's interesting that the director is doing, um, the Fast and Furious spinoff next because this, <laughs> fa- the action in this movie feels like a, an audition for a Fast and Furious movie. Um, I think there are some conceits in it that ab- there are, that are absolutely genius that the, the, the big one in the, in the second act is, is it is really perfectly judged. And I had no idea, uh, that it was coming. Um, <laughs> But yeah, my my problem with all of the superhero movie jokes are they're they're Seth MacFarlane reference humor. It's like, oh, you know comic book movies, right? Yeah, I know them. Like, but you you're the meta superhero who knows of their existence. Why don't you deconstruct them and get below the surface? Whereas what this movie goes is, you look like Thanos, and that for me is. Like there is so much potential in the Deadpool concept, and it feels like this franchise has has got into the groove of we're just going to make fun of other superhero movies, but we're not actually going to get into actually get into any of the reasons why. It's just I think of, other superhero movies exist. Yeah, I think it does as well. <laughs> I think if it did that, it wouldn't do the thing it does ten minutes in. Well, we'll get to it in a few minutes. But yeah, uh, okay, the, yeah, the like so this is quite a big deal, and it's the thing a lot. Well, it's the thing every review mentions, right? Now let's get to it when we're in spoiler territory. I don't, yeah. I don't think yeah. we should mention it at all before then. Um, and I, and I would say I I like the fact that uh, I agree with you. I think that they play Cable right in that he is a completely straight character. But n- no one in this movie for me gets a chance to make an impact beyond Deadpool. Like no no one. Uh, like Zazie Beats love the performance. There's no character there. Um, Josh Brolin like the performance. There's no character there. There's like a- anyone who has. I, I think Julian Dennison's Russell is the closest you get to that, but he he basically half an hour into the movie hits a note and stays at that note for the rest of the film. And yeah, I, I'm quite happy to watch another movie with 
Deadpool and Cable in it. And I'd be quite happy to watch a Domino spin-off or whatever they want to do with these characters or an X-Force movie. But I don't feel I know who those characters are. All I feel I, I know is here is a here is a like cardboard cutout of a comic book character who, because we know something about them from the comics or we know what their powers are, that's what we've got there. And otherwise, it is just it is the Ryan Reynolds show. Not not that that's a bad thing because hmm. I was going to say I wouldn't thought you would complain about <laughs> yeah. the Ryan Reynolds no, show. No, no, he. I mean, he does. I he, thought you he, loved like, two guys a girl on a pizza place. <laughs> oh, I do. <laughs> I really do. Especially even when it no longer had a pizza place. Um, it's fine if it wants to be that, but I can't. I can't personally walk away from this movie going. Cable's amazing. Domino's amazing. They're just. They're just. They're just performances. They're not, and no character for me. Which I I don't I, I I don't want to completely piss on the parade because you you two guys really liked it and I I didn't dislike it I just thought it was fine and I think I thought it was fine because for all the good it does there are two things about this movie that I hate and hmm. they ba- they basically put me in a bad mood for the first hour of the movie. <laughs> I mean, one of the things I thought when I watched the movie was like oh, it's doing a bunch of stuff that's completely different from what Joe expected it would do. And I wonder if that's going to make him upset with it, basically. Oh, no, so that... I get the impression that at least one of the things that it does... Yeah, I loved. Absolutely loved. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, probably probably my favourite. I was completely not... Like, I was watching it going, what? Oh... (laughs) Shit! <laughs> I was like, "That is absolutely genius." Um, I assume and- I assume I know what bit you're talking about. But yeah. yeah, I think I think we've we've all we've all laid our cards on the table. There, we should probably get into spoiler territory. Um, so what we'll do, we'll play one of the numerous trailers for you to listen to. Now, uh, you can escape if you haven't seen the movie yet and want to avoid spoilers. Because weirdly, Deadpool Two is a movie that I I would recommend avoiding spoilers for, which I wouldn't have said for the first movie. I mean, there are at mm-hmm. least three or four big moments that you wouldn't want to know about before you went into the film, and that and that you wouldn't realistically have any idea going into the film if all yeah. you've done is watch the trailers. So um, we'll play the trailer now, and we'll be back um, after that trailer with our spoiler-filled discussion. Actually, that may have been me. Oh, you're living the dreams, DP. Yeah. Devil me care attitude. <laughs> Strong thighs. Beautiful girlfriend. Sorry I'm late. I was rounding up all the gluten in the world and launching into space where it can't not hurt us ever again. Kiss me like you miss me, Red. What in the foxicle is this? My name's Cable. I'm here for the kid. What? The kid? Move or die. Kids give us a chance to be better than we used to be. You need to. You're a lot. 
smarter than I look. I ain't letting Cable kill this kid. But I can't do this alone. Can you speak up? It's hard to hear you with that pity dick in your mouth. We're gonna form a super duper fucking group. We need them tough, morally flexible, and young enough to carry their own franchise for 10 to 12 years. We will be known as X-Force. Isn't that a little derivative? You're absolutely right. Now, let's go get our fuck on. Don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. I'm rocking my feet. What the fuck does it be Making the tears rain down like a monsoon. Listen to the bass storm. Tell me they got that in slow motion. Doing the right thing is messy. But if you want to fight for what's right, sometimes you have to fight dirty. And that is why Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants is pure pornography. Oh, God, I wish I finished college. It lives up to the hype. Plus, plus. Fuck it, they probably won't even make a three. Yeah, why would they? Stop it, too. You killed it. <laughs> okay, so we're back with our spoiler-filled discussion of Deadpool 2. Um, and guys, can I can I just start off with the, the big gripe? Go on. Well, the film does, so... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it, it doesn't matter what way you try and spin it, and it doesn't matter what nonsense you do at the end. That's a textbook fridging. Yep. Yeah. And it's and it's and it's a bad one. And the movie and like I don't, we go straight into that opening credits where, like, the movie is kind of like chastising itself for doing it. Mm. But and I actually thought after I I kept expecting there to be a rug pull. I thought yes. she wasn't going to be dead, but would have like left him because it was too dangerous being with him or something like that. Um. I just kept expecting for the gag reveal that he was talking about her as if she was dead and she actually wasn't, and it and, never came. And um, I, I, I and just I, and really I, think I, if yeah. you're doing if you're doing a movie where your superhero is aware of superhero tropes, you're right. It's it, that it's, is one it's of a that's one of the most famous bad ones. Yeah, it's one yeah. of the and most I, famous bad tropes. At the very least, I mean, I wouldn't have necessarily expected them to use the word fridging because that is too. Uh, like all of the other gags that are reference gags, you can tell if you don't know what the gag is, you can tell that it's a comics reference gag. With that, you would have to explain what fridging was, and it it wouldn't make sense to an audience. But I I I expected an acknowledgement by the film that this was a horrendous cliche, and I think the film thinks, and I haven't come down on whether or not I agree with it, that it doesn't matter because ultimately she's not dead. No, it does. That's you. What you've done is you have removed the female character's agency. You've by by removing her from the film by turning her her into a bit like she gets she gets a little bit damseled in the first movie, but she has enough personality and she is active enough in that story that it kind of I think it kind of overcomes it. You're you're taking her out of the story, and in in so doing, you are creating the kind of you're setting in motion the emotional arc and the impetus for all of death yeah, which is which is yeah I mean, and the rest sometimes of the stuff gets talked about as fridging that i wouldn't consider a fridging because it's a very specific definition of yeah it's not just a fridging if a female character dies yeah it's specifically yes a female yeah. character dies for no fault of their own to motivate a male character 
Yeah, and that is absolutely, it motivates everything he does in the rest of the movie. And for me, what was interesting about Deadpool and the first, what I really liked about the first Deadpool movie, I think it had, like like I said at the time, I think it has flaws, um, but it's it's real I, I think for me the first one is going to remain more rewatchable than this one what's really fun about the first movie is that the sincerity at the heart of it is that wade and vanessa's relationship their emotional arc feels really authentic to me and it and mm. i buy those characters and i buy them in the first 10 minutes of this movie but what i'm interested in and this probably won't go for everyone, but it certainly goes to me. What I'm interested in is their relationship and the way they feel about each other. What I'm not interested in is Wade moping because she's gone. And I get that the movie, I think it, the movie is trying to do something bold by going, what if in this really like silly slapstick superhero comedy, our central character has depression? That's, that's an interesting take. But find another way to do it. I mean, I I keep watching because like you can sort of understand the decisions that went into like killing Vanessa, basically, which is that they went, oh, you know, we we want to do this story, but we don't want it to be about their relationship. You know, we how can was we she, we need to do she, something? We need to have him in a situation where he's got nothing to lose, like that sort of thing. J- like just have them break up. That's all it needed to do. That's just lazy writing. <laughs> Quite. Yeah. I, I, I just find it uh, emblematic of the movie's approach to superhero satire, which superhero satire is joking about superhero movies. It's not it's not exploring the tropes like I, and I think some of the superhero jokes are really funny, like and it's it's all in Ryan Reynolds delivery a lot of the time that he kind of drops it as an aside at the end of a sentence. But like the the Martha gag, the 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 gag in the X Mansion, the the um, that some of the ones that we saw in the trailer. I mean, the laughs in our audience were huge, and I thought it was telling. Like, here is an audience of people who turn up and watch superhero movies, and like it was like anyone who says like you know all of those reviews that were saying, well, Avengers Infinity War doesn't, you know, it doesn't it doesn't introduce any of these characters. Yeah, and it made a billion dollars in its first weekend worldwide because everyone sees these movies. And so people are going into Deadpool, and Deadpool is not just relying on people having seen Deadpool 1. Deadpool is is relying on people (laughs) having seen Batman v Superman and Justice League and (laughs) Doctor Strange and Black Panther and Spider-Man 3 and and Green Lantern, yeah. And, And they have because the laughs are indicative of that. Um, well, the, well, and that's the key thing, and it's the. It feels weird to make comparisons between this film and Infinity War, but they both come from a very similar place, mm-hmm. and that place is knowing that people know this stuff, and that you can confidently make jokes that that a lot of the audience will get. The other way in which they're really similar is that, as 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 I kind of said before, you know this. This feels so much like a comic on the screen, um, and for different reasons than Infinity War. Because with Infinity War, it was all about the structure and the pacing, as we talked about it being like an event comic. And with Deadpool, it's like here is a load of shit from early nineties X Men comics faithfully rendered. Um, but it's just it's really interesting that we've had these two films back to back that are no longer um, 
hero movies that are based on comics and do a load of stuff from the comics, but they're still really movies at heart. These two are both... Uh, they're both comics as movies <laughs> and they are both so rooted well, in they, yeah, people's knowledge of this this, it, this last decade and a half the, of it's films. It's the medium storytelling that they've adopted, right? It's the, the idea of these films as actually installments of a wider narrative. Like that's, but also that's these, the difference. These films as a gateway that like what what this podcast set out to do, which is, you know you drop a reference to a comic book in these movies, like the end of the last movie saying, oh, by the way, Cable's going to be in the next one. So do you know what I bet most of the people who went out and watched that movie did who didn't know the comics? They Googled Cable when they got home. They (laughs) They maybe didn't read the comics, but they probably knew enough about Cable by the time they got to this movie that they laughed at a couple of in jokes, despite never reading an issue of the comics. Because this is mainstream culture now. And you know, like it's everyone's a nerd. Yeah, it's yeah, it's mainstream, but it's it's doing deep dives into nerdery. All that being said, I still I think that is that is indicative of the problem with this movie. At the end of the movie, when Deadpool is dying time and time again, I expected there to be a joke about the trope of superheroes never actually dying. And like I expected Deadpool to be making a commentary about it. Like I expected him to be dropping a reference to Nick Fury in Winter Soldier. But it doesn't. It doesn't it it like it issues that chance at every turn it would rather it would rather make a reference to a 1993 issue of x-men than it would go hey isn't it interesting how these superhero movies ever do this thing have you noticed how dumb that is or like but he does do some of that stuff like when it says oh it's time for the big cgi fight and that kind of thing did you not think it was implicit as well that Mm. the, the fact that he was lying there trying to die and couldn't like this I was is, watching this, that scene, going like, "This is an implicit nah, this, this is a, on the idea." Nah, of this this is a character who says every, This is a character who says everything out loud. Why is he? Why is he choosing not to point to point? If it, if that's a character who, who says, "Now it's time for the big CGI fight," why is he not saying that at the end? Uh, I just, that scene I, was that scene was long enough. They had the time. Were we all watching that scene thinking, "Oh, this is about how"? superheroes can't die in films like were we not all thinking that yeah and but then we it were, but then, then it, that's what it was doing surely but so it didn't, they didn't need to say it but it yeah. didn't but it didn't execute the scene in that way it didn't execute it in a way that deadpool was faking it out the whole time it then did a very straight laced moment with cable going back in time to save wade that played on an emotional arc for the movie that's not an undercutting that is a plot point in this movie yeah, but it, it did, did that it, after, and it, after three fake out deaths. Yeah, but it didn't. But it didn't play the actual moment for laughs, and I don't. I, I yeah, I don't think the movie. I don't think the movie goes anywhere near close enough to that kind of stuff. I mean, I just. But I, I don't think that's what it's was, interested I can't in doing. Anyone was watching that scene and not no, it's, about it. I don't think it is interested. I don't think it is interested in doing it, and I think that's. But fine. I'm not sure that. But it's it's well, not that's the, the thing you've just said. It's it's it's, it's you can you. Can it's not the film that I want about, to see. <laughs> You can make it's, joke it's on me. I get it. Criticism, though, Joe, and you know it. <laughs> I know yeah. it is. Yeah, no, but that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I, like the the Deadpool films for me 
are not living up to their potential of what I want them to be. They're doing a great job for well. What, you see what you're what doing is you're, you're, you're overstating how good Deadpool comics are at satirizing <laughs> comics because I've got news for you, buddy. They they're not very good at that. They the jokes are very surface in a Deadpool comic as well. Um, oh no, I'm not. I'm not saying that. Like what I'm saying is, frankly, Gwenpool is better at doing genre commentary than Deadpool is. Indeed. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that the movies don't don't have with a character of this nature have the ability to do it. They no, do but they have, have the ability, ability to do it. lots of things. It doesn't mean they're obliged to. Yeah, I feel like this is kind of like criticizing all Superman movies for not being all star Superman. Because that, for me, is the ultimate expression of what you can do with Superman. But it doesn't mean every movie should be trying to, you know, have this kind of Silver Age sci-fi pacifist at the heart of it. I just think when you're... It would be nice to see that once. But I don't think any of the films are bad because they're not that. But the central concept of Deadpool is a self-aware, meta, joke, wisecracking superhero. It's, It's not a stretch. It does. It wouldn't. It's it wouldn't not a stretch, undermine, but as I say, it it's, undermine it's not, anything else in the film. It's not really what Deadpool comics do. So it is worth pointing uh, out he is a superhero. Like he's still bound by the genre's conventions. And and this film makes clear, as if it wasn't already, that he explicitly exists in the actual X Men movie universe, not an offshoot of it. Uh, kinda. No, it 100% does. They are literally in the film. Yeah, if if they're in the 80s. <laughs> well, because yeah, Dark that's Phoenix, that, Dark those Phoenix is set in the set in the 90s. Yeah. So BC yeah, is exactly. 50 years old in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> so he's presumably 70 in this one. I yeah, mean, but the timeline's I, I think, are screwy I think anyway. His canonicity is dubious at best. But... No, I know, but the point is it's yeah, it's it, it, he he does exist in a a world with rules to an extent. Yeah. He's also capable of breaking them when the movie is willing to break them. Yeah, but but you know, as I say, Deadpool by his very nature is a a mess of not entirely fulfilled potential for that kind of joke. So if you're saying that you're disappointed that the movie does, isn't intelligent enough with its jokes or deep enough with its jokes and doesn't yes. go far enough, then I would say that it is a very accurate. <laughs> representation of the comic book character Deadpool. Yes, and I and I would argue that this entire movie is more interested in fidelity to the comics than than do it striking out its own ground and doing something yeah, but, interesting. But can but can we not celebrate it for that? Because as I say, that that's where I found the joy. Was oh no, that, no you yeah, chart that's... the evolution of of these movies and particularly even just taking the X Men movies. You know, it's been eighteen years since X Men two thousand. Compare that movie with this movie and the fact that, that they ostensibly movie. exist in the same universe. <laughs> yeah. And that's hilarious. Or even, as the film invites you to, just compare it with a movie from nine years ago. Just compare it with X-Men Origins Wolverine and, and, and the contortions that that film went through to go, well, we're doing Deadpool, but we can't really do Deadpool, can we? You'd never get away with doing that in a movie. And now here we are. I think ultimately what we... Because I don't want to torpedo this for too long because I'm aware that's what I'm doing. Also, there's uh, a load of stuff that we really want to get on with yeah, being excited yeah. about. And, <laughs> and, there is, and there is a lot of stuff in this movie I do like. I think we can absolutely say for you guys, yes, this like that's exactly what you want to see in an X-Men universe movie, in a Deadpool movie. 
for me, I, it just left me feeling like this is the same as the first movie. It's good, but it's not. It's nothing more than that for me because it's not pushing the buttons that I wanted it to push, and that that is on me as a viewer. But I, I also, I would love to see a third movie in this franchise where the filmmakers are more ambitious. Well, do you know? We will talk about it in a bit more detail later. But having done what this movie does, I feel like opens the door to doing that take with a set of characters not a million miles away from the characters in this film, uh, one of whom actually appears in this film. Um, and this is one of the things that I liked, that even though it was such a small part and such a small part of the film... one partic- realise where you're going. <laughs> yeah, one particular character who appears in this opens up the possibility, and I don't think it will ever happen, but it opens up the possibility of another X team potentially having a, a movie made about them one day that absolutely would be the movie that you're talking about wanting to see happen in terms of being a, a genre critique as well as a satire on the concept of celebrity. Um, Alpha Flight. No, X-Force. Ecstatics. <laughs> then Ecstatics. Originally X-Force and then Ecstatics. We'll talk about them in more detail later. Now's not the time, but... Um, did you get, did you guys see the the uh, little ad on top of Depinder's Taxi? I did. Yes. For Alpha Flight. Yeah. yeah. That was that was cute. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, I, I obviously didn't like the stuff at the start with um Vanessa being killed off. Obviously the movie ends with her death being undone. Um so they can use her again in future movies. I, I just thought it was a shame that Marina Bakarin like you think like the last film structurally can't include her more than it does uh but she makes a huge impact when she is on screen i was just really looking forward to a movie where she was there the whole time yeah i mean i don't like i don't want to get into the situation where it looks like me and seb are saying like oh it's fine that she's not in it because like it's really not and like i don't think i liked that either Mm. at the same time I can understand the thought processes that went into doing it. And I think, like, I think bringing her back at the end does sort of undercut doing it in the first place. I don't. Because it's not like they just wanted to get rid of her and now she's gone. It's that for this film, they didn't want her around. And so they just shuffled her off in a way that moved the story forward. Like, it's not great. But they, you know, they went the extra step of saying well, we're going to break the rules and we're going to just bring her back like because we can just bring her back. There, There is an element with, with how they look at Vanessa in this film of um, I would see it as the um, Jennifer in the car at the end of Back to the Future problem, yeah. which is uh, I don't think they necessarily expected the first film to do quite as well as it did and to <laughs> merit the sequel that it got. Uh, and if they had, they may not have had her around at the end of that film because it oh. left them with the problem of they need to get her out of the way to do the story that they want to do. Or maybe they just didn't expect how popular that relationship would be because, you know, like when we saw that, didn't we, there was speculation at the time that in, in the first movie that Marina Baccarin might be playing copycat and then, then with Domino turning up as well, it felt like there was other love interests for Wade. But when you've nailed it that well in the first movie, <laughs> um, and I loved, the f- I loved the first, I-, I loved the first like five minutes with her. 
I love that they made another pegging joke, except this time that Wade was into it. Like <laughs> <laughs> when when they made that joke, I was like, that one was for Joe. Yeah, <laughs> I was just like, oh yeah, brilliant. They 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 took one of the funniest gags from the first movie, but they gave it a like a, a slightly less homophobic twist. Um, and yeah, I I I kind of like I was enjoying them two being together, and I just yeah it. I thought it was a shame when she was gone. Um, and yeah, it did It did sour things for a while for me because I just, I was like, I was the same as Seb. I, I kept waiting for them to undercut it. Um, they do follow it up though with the, I, I thought really kind of funny opening title sequence, Bond style. Um, I always like a Bond <laughs> reference. <Yeah>. And um, <laughs> I mean, it's been done before the kind of parody Bond titles. I mean, anytime you, there's a lot of Bond parodies and you tend to get them in there. Um, but like, it felt like they were doing something fresh enough with it. With like, I, it's just funny seeing that shot of the bullets raining down on, on Wade, that kind of stuff. It was, I, I, I thought for, for a minute, it kind of like, I was like, oh, maybe it won't be so bad. I trust that this movie hasn't actually killed her. And then it had. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's, I mean that's the thing those, those gags in the credits feel like they're building up because they go like oh what the fuck what have you just done kind of thing you kind of think oh okay that's not going to be the case then um, but turns out that it is turns out that it is but so so status quo is Wade I also oh, I don't know about you guys I thought the the first two minutes the kind of the Logan riff like I liked I thought that I thought that it was funny to begin with the like dead logan music box and then i didn't really get it for a while <laughs> i was like oh this is this is dragging on what's what's and and so the gag is that yeah he's gonna kill himself too like i i need to want i need to one up wolverine yeah which again is another one of those pointers to like there's just an assumption that you've seen logan I hope you hope you knew that Wolverine died because now <laughs> I, did, I did have an element of yeah that's a that is a, still a spoiler well, for a I think relatively that reference recent is so but... vague yeah uh, what <laughs> it's not like he says like oh look look what happened in Logan like if you don't know that Hugh Jackman made a Wolverine film that was explicitly his last Wolverine film no but think... he says that he says when he's talking to camera that Wolverine that. They did a Wolverine movie with an R rating, and he died at the end. <laughs> they 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 explicitly say that. Yeah. Anyway, so Wade is trying to kill himself, and he reaches the depths of his depression, and Colossus puts him back together and drags him in a body bag to the X mansion. Um, yeah. Did you? Did, you can imagine you... the smile on my face at this point. Yes. <laughs> so we we see Negasonic Teenage Warhead, and I think James, you oh no, it was you said, wasn't it, that had said that you'd seen the online rumor that um, that the uh, is it Yu Gi Oh? She's in uh, Yu Gi Oh. Yu Gi Oh. Yu Gi a cartoon, isn't it? Yu Gi Oh is in a relationship with Negasonic Teenage Warhead, um, and we see those guys. Um, it's the running gag with Yu Gi Oh didn't really get. That didn't, didn't. That was one of those that never really landed for me. That's I a quite, very. That's a very comicsy Deadpool joke. 
Yeah, and I just I, I quite liked the thing of like she's she's completely well, not that she's oblivious to what's going on, but just the the highway, just no matter what's going on around yeah, them. I, he's I, just like I, I, that the, was fun. The joke there is he's kind of infatuated with her, and she's right. obliviously friendly to him. I didn't really right. get the infatuation gag. I just got the gag of, you know, it was not what you would expect someone to say at that point, <laughs> or or that he was like him liking her is something that would wind up Negasonic Teenage Warhead, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, so they're there, and then the gag is that, oh, the, the X-Men are not in the mansion again. But hey, oh, they're, actu- they're actually behind him in that room. <laughs> and that was fun. Come on. that was Ma- that's, that's a fun moment. The McAvoy looked to camera was really funny. Um, they kind of, oh, shit. Um, who was in that room? It was Quicksilver. It was Professor X. It was Beast. I, I didn't pick out. Who else was there? Um, it was definitely Professor X, Beast, uh, and Quicksilver. Yeah, yeah. I'm I pretty I Cyclops. sure Cyclops, and I think Storm might have been. Right, but I'm okay. not sure. So yeah, that's this is. Oh god, this is no one cares. Really, no one cares about X Men continuity. But I was like, so if it is the main universe, that's what they all look like in the 80s, and obviously they've been aging very slowly. But like Quicksilver can't still look like that in his 40s. <laughs> like what Quicksilver's 16 in the X-Men in, in X-Men Apocalypse or to, let's say he's 20 or so, like, let's be generous Look, these, like, let's this, say he's this 16 con- this continuity was broken when Hank McCoy <laughs> appeared with like white skin and a ponytail on a TV screen in is it X-Men 2 <laughs> X-Men 1 yeah is it, or is it the first one is yeah it's it, in I one of it them it might even be X-Men 1 yeah and then you've got the um, Kelsey Grammer version in X-Men 3 and then uh, it's actually I was going to say it's established in the recent ones that he's blue for a long time, but he keeps changing back and forth, doesn't he? I think so. we'd even had like two or three different versions of Kitty Pride by the time we got to X Men. We had. We, we there there are three Kitty Prides across the first three X Men films. Yeah. Um. See. So, uh, yeah. I understand the continuity, but that's why I mean this is nonsense. But I was watching it going. So is Deadpool happening in the eighties or the nineties or what? Because like, shouldn't it be Professor? Shouldn't it be like? Literally, it should be like old version of Patrick Stewart by now. He should be like five years away from dementia. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, who knows whether it is actually in the X-Men continuity or not. Maybe, to be fair, I'm not maybe sure all it this... ever says when the film is set. No, but all this X-Men guff, Because Cable doesn't this... get an answer when he asks what year it is. So. All of this time travel guff, just like d- do a hand wavy thing, and then it and then it all makes sense. But I also did wonder whether, like, so um, Russell is is the orphanage he's in is Essex House, mm-hmm. so that's that's a Mister Sinister thing, right? Es- and it, it, you're not saying Mr. Essex yeah. reference. I, I expected yeah. a sinister appearance. That I expected never came, the headmaster actually. to turn out to be sinister. Yeah. And wasn't there a there was the thing at the end of X Men Apocalypse that was a Mister Sinister tease, mm-hmm. which which never materialised. But then, like, are we thinking that I can't remember? Was the company and Logan were they in any way affiliated with Sinister? Was Richard E. Grant? I know we thought he was going to be Mister Sinister, and he wasn't. Yeah, I don't think he was. Because I was wondering whether, like, when they were to, and like Cable was talking about all the mutants being dead in however many years, anyway. Um, I was I was wondering whether that yeah he was gonna be um like some link to that some but but 
Incidentally, I don't think is... it's I don't think it's unreasonable to think that this movie is now interested in tying into X Men continuity, given how much it dives into X Men nerdy shit from the comics. Well, I think it's I think it's something that's worth, and it's, it's skipping ahead slightly to stuff we see later in the film. But this establishes that in in like present day X Men continuity, there is a a branch of like government militia slash police dedicated to hunting down mutants and there are mutant penal facilities and there are like loads of mutants out there being like captured and rounded up and stuff and it's like it's stuff that you usually see as a kind of possible dystopian future for mutants and it's like actually there and happening in the present day and also did it feel like that the the x-men was signing off on it like what? What? Colossus and Negasonic I was Teenage say, it did Warhead. Feel like they were working with the authorities rather than, you know. Yeah. Like it's it's Colossus them. who it's Colossus who restrains Wade, isn't it? Before he gets taken to, to the penal facility. Mm-hmm. It felt it, for me. It felt like there was there was an endorsement there, which felt very strange. But it's it's difficult with this film, isn't it? Because you kind of want to take. <laughs> On, on the one hand, you want to go, yeah, it's engaging with comic book lore. And on the other hand, it doesn't give two shits about it. Like, I mean, it, it, it flips from one to the other pretty fast. The thing about the X-Men is that the X-Men are, like, to you to go a bit D&D, is that they are lawful good alignment, right? So, in a world where there are enough mutant criminals to warrant a mutant prison, they would presumably be going like, well, obviously you can lock up criminal mutants and you would need a facility to do that. Like if you're locking up people for being mutants, that's different. Yeah, but it feels like it feels like a difference that like Colossus would know because they know that Deadpool is Wade Wilson. Colossus would know that taking away Wade's powers makes him makes his cancer come back. So like that was it. it like it's a death sentence. It just it. it, it I, I couldn't I couldn't um reconcile it in my head when I was watching the movie but I mean I feel like Deadpool probably wouldn't know uh, Colossus probably wouldn't know that much about Deadpool cuz like I don't think that's like this is this is way too nerdy <laughs> like I don't think that's public record for the character who knows I, 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 yeah I I was just finding I was finding it pretty hard to reconcile um what did you think of Russell so I'm assuming that have they just made a conscious choice there that we want to create a new mutant like a, a, <laughs> no. we, we oh no it, Russell is a character this is I can't believe I didn't notice this but he's he's not Russell like in the film he's called Russell Collins but from the comics he's Rusty Collins he was one of the like ah it's X Factor it isn't it he's from, it's from he X was Factor. in a, yeah he was introducing X Factor as one of the like the kids they helped out and sort of rescued. Um, right, okay. You know, there, fire, was fire, of, there was... Fire Fist. Fire, fire Fist. Fist, yeah. They do call him <laughs> that in the movie, I, don't I, they? I didn't use that name much, but... Um, yeah, he he's an actual character, like, completely, completely stripped of all, like, I, comics identity here. Um, yeah. And certainly cast in a very different role, but... On the on the basic level, he's a pyrokinetic, and that's this kid. And so I, I, I can I, completely see why I missed it, but also I should have called it. 
<laughs> I like the idea of you chastising yourself when you realise. Um, so and so, what they do is the it's. I mean, the, the film says it out loud. You know, would you go back in time and kill baby Hitler? And apparently, there's a there's a there was a gag that was going to be part of the end credit scenes where <laughs> Ryan, where Wade Wilson literally goes back in time and strangles a baby Hitler, and we were going to watch that happen. Uh, and apparently, they cut it because it was a bit too far. Uh, but they actually filmed it. They actually filmed that. Um, but also, it's like I mean, Looper, the 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 um, Ryan Johnson movie Looper did that plot about what three, four, four, five years ago now. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's again, it's um, I don't know. I I find the the kind of like a really tropey plot at the center of this like the, uh, was the was the scene where cable turned up and you got an alan tudyk um cameo was that supposed to be a, a terminator joke because i felt like i felt like it was i felt like it was a parody scene of terminator it but did then seem it, a bit like that. Yeah. But but then it but then it didn't arrive at a punchline. Do we know who the other person is yet? Because apparently it is somebody under prosthetics. But I wondered. I did wonder for a second whether it's gonna. It was Tucker and Dale. <laughs> but I don't. It's not, is it? It's not the actor who plays Dale. So there's a lot of that in this movie. Is grown up Russell Fred Armisen? You know, you get like the one shot of him. Uh, no, it's somebody called Salah Baker. Oh, okay. It looked like Fred Armisen. And there's one big cameo in the movie that took me. Yeah, I was a bit. Is that actually him? And it is actually him. Yeah, yeah. Brad, Brad Brad Pitt is Vanisher. If anyone, yeah, that's a, that was a good guy. Yeah, that was that that was a that was a really good one. Um, it reminded me a little bit. And we of, don't um, know how South Park played. used to get um, South Park used to get George Clooney into voice Cartman's pig. Was it? It was something like that. It was like George Clooney said he wanted to do a voice and they were like, sure, you can come and voice the pig. <laughs> we we don't know, and we haven't mentioned him yet, but we don't know who played Juggernaut because yeah, he's credited as himself. as himself. It was credited. Yeah. So we don't know who did it. It was CGI, but we don't know who did the voice. I wish it had been Vinnie Jones. When I, yeah. when I realised that that was going to be dead, that was going to be Juggernaut, when you get that brief moment where there's a, there's a glimpse of a reveal... And if you know if you know your stuff, you go, <laughs> "Oh shit, it's Juggernaut!" And I was like, "Please let it be Vinnie Jones. Please let him say that line at some point." I was a bit disappointed that it wasn't. I was so happy as soon as I feel out it was Juggernaut. I was very happy. So that I get that uh, I didn't want to say this in the pre-spoiler bit. I turned. To, I said to Laura, "I was like, when Colossus and Juggernaut were fighting at the end, I can just imagine James's face." And mm. Laura went. Laura, who, um, my wife, uh, who had quite enjoyed the movie, like probably enjoyed it more than I did, just went, why? And I was like, oh, Laura, just because James loves X-Men. And that is, I mean... This, I, I've got to I say, don't... Deadpool, Deadpool 2, easily the best X-Men movie. Like, easily the most X-Men-y X-Men movie. Yeah. I, I, I don't know Juggernaut, because I haven't read any comics with him in. I I know that people were so annoyed by his depiction in X Men Three. You're I mean, gonna hate so you, shit. <laughs> you're gonna hate me for this, but I didn't come out of this movie going, "Oh, now I know why people love Juggernaut." He, he mean, just the, he, he's big. He was big. My only criticism of their use of Juggernaut is that they don't use his main thing in this, which is that once he starts running, he's unstoppable. Like that's his thing. 
Yeah. And so they could have, if I'd been in charge, they would have shown that. But also, I literally, um, about two weeks before Infinity War, I had a dream that <laughs> about Infinity War where the plot of the movie was Juggernaut turns up, beats all the Avengers, and then beats Thanos. <laughs> this is such an insight. <laughs> <laughs> and you can go back and look on my Twitter where I said about like, holy shit, I just had this dream about Infinity War. And no. then in Deadpool 2, Juggernaut turned up. I could not have been more happy because he is one of my favourite X-Men villains and one of my favourite comic characters in general. It it made me a little bit nostalgic for the Vinnie Jones version. <laughs> and I, I, I'm not saying, honestly, I'm not saying this just to troll you, but like, just for something a bit tangible. I mean, the fact like, that, that he's not credited as anything. Like, there was enough there that was faithful to the comics for me to go like that's my that's my guy yeah he's but he so he's big he's big and he's strong and he's dumb and he's once he starts running you can't stop him i did like i did like the hot when he was there the the deadpool jokes about like oh he's like like you could tell it was ryan reynolds talking for a moment holy shit is my favorite character yeah and that's and that's why he was in the movie should I tell you my like probably the one part of this entire movie that made me go like this is made by actual like my people nerds is that when Deadpool lists a bunch of comics they are all actual juggernaut comics. Oh yeah, yeah, you he, like goes, oh, I've got I've got these issues, I've got this one, this one, this one and I was like I've got those ones too. <laughs> um the is he Professor X's brother? Is that the Half brother, yes. Half brother, he has a he has a complicated family, doesn't he? <laughs> Professor X. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I I think I knew that. Name and an when X-Men he's... who doesn't right? Oh, challenge that. <laughs> Negasonic teenage warhead. <laughs> it's only because she died in her first appearance. Nailed it! Absolutely nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, wh- wh- uh, where wh- where actually were we in the chronology? We were talking a bit about Russell, weren't we? Like, uh, so does yeah, does Russell work for you? Like I say, it's it's kind of really standard tropey stuff, and that's where the movie, in the absence of Vanessa, tries to hinge its emotional arc, which is yeah, Wade Wade wants to be a dad, and you put a kid in front of him who he has to protect. And I guess there is, there's, um, there's a sense of like a progression of an arc that he had from the first movie with the, you know, Colossus giving him the five moments speech at the end of that mm-hmm. first movie and him shooting Ajax in the head. And this time he's the one that wants to protect life at all costs at the end of this movie. I mean, and there's um, precedent as well in the in the first film. He's looking after that young girl, and then he's, you know, he basically says like sort your life out to her or whatever like he you know before he's deadpool i mean when he's being like ryan reynolds hitman guy. oh yeah the girl at the start yeah yeah i guess yeah so like it's not completely outside of his character i mean for me the the arc didn't really have the emotional weight it was going for like for a start i didn't i didn't ever think russell was in danger of becoming like the monster that cable says he became yeah no and neither. i think yeah, we, like that. Never the, felt the casting, realistic. the casting betrayed that, didn't it? Yeah, um, they, Julian Dennison is too inherently likable. 
I do and, like uh, that they put a 14-year-old character in a movie and had him actually talk like a 14-year-old. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit irresponsible to have him swearing that much, but it was also quite yeah. accurate. Nah, so. he didn't swear that much when they were 14. Exactly. No, yeah. but and it doesn't mean that you can give a 14-year-old a script and tell them to swear, but <laughs> it is accurate. That's. I mean, that's, that's the least, least of this movie's this problems. <laughs> Um, and, and and I liked I I did quite like the the moment at the start where he was talking about well I can't be a hero look at me because I'm chubby like yeah. when yeah. when have you when have you ever seen a superhero that looks like me and that's what I did really like about the end of the movie uh, I st- I still think for a movie as self aware as this when that team walks away at the end of the movie it would be nice if there wasn't one woman because. You can do better than that. You you've got everyone to choose from, and like you've got at the end of the movie, what you've got is actually like quite a racially diverse team. But mm. it's not just that Domino's the one woman in that team at the end of the movie. She's the one woman who's been allowed to be a part of that movie. And I I think Daisy Beats is great, and I think that like her approach to the role is. A, a breath of fresh air um but yeah i liked that you kind of had like these these characters of all uh shapes sizes ethnicities like you've got weedy Dupinder, you've got short chubby julian Dennison, you've got cut like a freaking steak cable holy crap um and and yeah but it would just be nice if there was there was more than one female character maybe that's Maybe that's a step for the next movie. Let Vanessa become a suit. Make her copycat. Who cares? I Just did, give well, her a... I did kind of think when she got shot, I was like, ah, she's going to be copycat. No, she wasn't copycat. <laughs> she just did. She's just dead. Until she's not. They'll probably do it again <laughs> in the next movie. I can't find a way to fit I, into Dead Force. I really, Force. I really hope they don't make that into a running joke because that would be weak oh, as fuck. Oh, God, no. I'm not, I'm not going to lie and say I, I hadn't considered they might do that. I really hope they don't, though. Yeah, um, I, I want to uh, talk about my. I think my favorite running joke from the movie, um, which stems from the introduction of Black Tom Cassidy. Um, <laughs> Jack Jack Kessie plays this character, and it was it, there was a rumor before the movie came out that he'd been cut from the movie entirely uh, because he was kind of like announced as like the key villain of this movie. Because mm-hmm. I think everyone knew that like. It's weird, the movie kind of doesn't have a villain, does it? No, this is one of the things, when I, I wrote up a quick review for Cinematic Universe, our website, check it out, everyone. Um, <laughs> but... One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes, until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It, re- it kind of lacks a villain with a sort of charisma of uh, Ed Screen. Screen? Screen? Who wasn't... He wasn't... 
I, do you know what? It's not that it doesn't have a villain. It's just that it, do, it with like because I, I, I didn't oh, think vi- Ed Screen was. I didn't movie. think Ed Screen was amazing. Ed Screen, uh, in fact, I didn't think Ed Screen was particularly good. He was just I think like the a, performance was good. The character was just empty, and like think, uh, yeah, he, he gave the, he gave the plot direction. Um, but but he film, wasn't he like, wasn't a part. He wasn't like a, he didn't feel like a crucial. He felt like he served a purpose in the first movie because it was all about Deadpool. Yeah, well, this like film say, it, fe- just, it felt like it had a set essential villainous force, but then that villainy was kind of like shattered, like shattered in different directions. And like, well, it'll be Cable for a while, and then it'll be Eddie Marsan, and then it'll be actually um, Russell himself, and then we'll introduce Juggernaut, and like. Yeah, there are villains at different. Po- there are antagonists at different points, but there's not that that yeah, central I mean, thing. I think for the majority of the film, you're supposed to take Cable as the antagonist, and it's kind of it doesn't really work because you're just waiting for the moment when they team up because that's what they do. Yeah, I'd said this that I sort of i I wondered if Cable was going to kill Weasel during that scene where he's kidnapped him, and then I realised <laughs> that. Lucky. Well, <laughs> but I realised that no, there wasn't ever going to be a point where Cable would kill anyone important to Deadpool because that would preclude him and Deadpool teaming up at the end, and that was obviously what was going to happen. Yeah. What do you did? You, so you guys really liked Cable. I really liked that they played Cable. Sincerely, Cable is a walking cliche in in every conceivable way. Everything that goes into making Cable what he is is a cliche because he was created by a man with no imagination, um, and who can't draw feet. And who can't draw feet? Uh, which was the gag that we both laughed out loud at in our respective screenings. In case you didn't know, to the baffling of everyone else. Yeah, um, but. Cable is also a character that you can take and play square and straight and sincere and drop him into a film like this and have him be somebody for Deadpool to bounce off. And And I admire that they didn't break at any... Apart from possibly at the end, but Brolin's performance and how they play the character does not crack or corpse at any point. He is just resolutely that cliched time traveling yeah, mercenary like, with a grim ar- purpose. He's an archetypal like soldier of fortune from the future. Like he is the Terminator guy. Yeah. And they actually give him a soldier, whatever. They give him more cliche in this than he has in the <laughs> yeah. comics, like with the <laughs> teddy bear struck to his belt and giving him the, the dead family and stuff. Yeah. Um you know, but they they make that work. I, I enjoyed the performance. I enjoyed particularly in the final act how he how him and Deadpool interact with one another. Um Yeah, I just uh, I just really like I liked his gun with the with the dial that goes up to eleven. Um you know. The thing the thing I think makes the performance work is that you can imagine them spinning off cable into a film and he wouldn't necessarily be very interesting. Oh, what? But no, they wouldn't no, have no, to change no, no, the performance no, no, no. to make him a protagonist. No, 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 no. There's not, there's, there's not a character there. <laughs> like that's, it's fine. All you, yeah, all, no all that you, he's an archetype. Like there's nothing, there's nothing they do in this film that undercuts him to the d- degree that he would be unusable in anything. Oh else. no, no, I, I totally agree with that. He's, 
He's an archetype. I just like he's he's the Marvel Universe's Judge Dread, <laughs> but he's he's not interesting. Like yeah, for all of that, for all of you who say it, he works as a comic foil for Deadpool, but beyond what Josh Brolin is able to take to it, like it it is it's exactly what you said, and you're saying it's like it's a good thing, and I'm going yeah, but as a as a person watching a movie. I don't just want. I, just, I don't just. But want you to can see build that another film around him and another yeah, that, plot and another point. set of like, characters around him. He's not fundamentally broken. In that, if you gave him to another set of writers and said, "Make a film about Cable," they would be like, "We can't do it because you fucked him up from this movie." Like, no, I'm but to would think you? Of, I'm trying to think what the you know. It just sounds is. like a, it just sounds like a really boring movie. <laughs> if, you, if you told me they were making a cable yeah, movie, well, I'd no, go. You, what you're saying there is Terminator Two sounds like a bad movie because <laughs> that's <laughs> no, a because, cable movie. Like that cable no, is the Terminator from Terminator. Yeah, 2. but Cable's not the protagonist. Uh, like, Terminator's not the protagonist. I can just about handle him here. There's no personality, but I can just about handle him. But yeah. Yeah, but I'm, uh, I'm talking. So I'm not talking about the text here. I'm talking about the performance. Like you would have to. I completely agree. You'd have to give him, a you know, a textual overhaul and say like, here is some depth and motivation for the character beyond this one scene. The performance, like the look, is complete. Like all you yeah. need is for him to to show some emotion and you know, be capable of experiencing an arc. <laughs> I don't disagree with any of that. I just feel like we're looking at something from completely different viewpoints where you're saying, well, the character's not broken. And I'm going, yeah, but he's not right. He's not fixed either, is he? <laughs> he's but, just there. Well, he's is, just there. Like, obviously we do disagree, but I think there's an inherent, like, it's inherently fun to see that character sharing screen with yeah. Deadpool. Like, it, it's the Infinity War thing. It's just... Here's the thing you love, and here he is, fully formed. No, but the Infinity War is is all about here are these characters that you've already invested in. Let's see them together. This is here is this comic character, and here is this foil, and let's see what jo- <laughs> yeah, let's see what let's see what jokes we can make. I I'm invested in Cable already because it's Cable, and they got Cable correct. Yeah, there is there, I, there I, is I definitely a fundamental with... difference between how you guys are approaching this movie yeah, and how like, I am. I completely agree. You have to be a Cable fan. To get this movie, but as we established, you are any, any and, well and anyone <laughs> who saw the end of the first movie is going to be at least to some degree invested in who Cable is. Because yeah. I mean, this movie is playing to Deadpool fans, right? And you know, I said I said off mic as well. I the people I went with weren't necessarily comic book nerds, and they came out going like, "Oh, Cable was so cool! Like he was so badass, or whatever." And it's like, well. If they can get that from that performance, I think it's it's not necessarily a stretch to think that other people can as well. Like you don't have to be, you don't have to know who Cable is before the film to enjoy what they do with him. I think some of it is shaped by expectation. I I remember I clicked on a link about a month ago that was like Josh Brolin talks about who he preferred playing uh, out of Cable and Thanos, and this is before the before either of the movies came out. And I was like, well, obviously he's going to say. Cable, because like there he's getting to go into a movie, the Deadpool, where everyone's having loads of fun, and like Thanos, like he's the he's the big purple thumb that like is the (laughs) generic villain who has to collect some MacGuffins to kill some Avengers, (laughs) and 
I read the and and he was just going oh like yeah no yeah I mean like cable was it was fine you know is it yada 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 but like the yeah the amount that I got to bring to the character of Thanos and I was stunned and like I seen having seen both movies I yeah I agree but I just I thought that he was I think I also thought he was going to be a bigger part of this. He's a pretty big part of it. He's in it a lot, and he gets <laughs> scenes on his own. And he just—he drive, he drives the majority of the narrative. But he's not—he's not—he's not saying anything, and he's not like on an arc. Really, he's just—he's just angry and wanting to kill someone. Does a load of action scenes, and at the end, agrees to give Deadpool thirty seconds. <laughs> I mean, we're—I'm really struggling to. To disagree, but also I don't see what's wrong with it. It's just like I don't know. This, like, what what do you want Cable to be doing in this is the thing? Character yeah, in someone else's movie. Like, C- Cable turns up and just does everything I would have expected Cable <laughs> yeah, exactly, to do. Yeah. Now, admittedly, Joe was expecting Cable to have a personality. I am familiar <laughs> yes. with Cable. I did I, not expect Cable to have a personality. I was expecting. But he did everything I, I expected. Of cable <laughs> was for him to have pouches, and he had a pouch. I can't allow you guys to keep saying, but the comics aren't that good either, as a reason why this movie is good. I, and I'm winding you up here, but it's <laughs> it's just no. It's, I'm, it's look, I, I it? said when, at the when, start when, that it baffles me that I like a film that is so that does such a good job of replicating comics that I don't like. That does not compute. That should not compute. And I think it's because it's a novelty. Um. I think that's part of the reason. It's just that this there is so much stuff that this film throws at the screen that I never expected to see a movie do. I think, and so, I think for me as well, as well as that, what I pick up on is that this is a film that has been made with care by people who respect the source material. And that is a that in itself, before Marvel Studios especially, was a rarity. Um, I just, I just finding this entire discussion fascinating because you know sometimes you, you have a conversation with someone about a movie and you walk away from it and go, well, we <laughs> just saw you we, yeah. we saw completely different movies. What we've seen is exactly the same movie. It's just pushed completely different buttons on both of us. <laughs> where we're yeah. like, where we're like, yeah, I agree with what you just said, but it's not. We haven't had the same <laughs> it's reaction. Not a problem, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so you, can we talk about X Force? Yeah, let's <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about the that's the nub of I think why on. I liked this movie so much. Oh my god! What so so we we get we get past the introduction of Cable. We get to uh, Deadpool uh, kind of regrouping, going back to the bar, um, and uh, I think we we have the blind owl scene in there as as well, don't we? And then he decides. Right, I'm gonna put to, put together a team, and I was expecting like you know like a classic audition scene where we see loads of rejects turn up, but it's no, it's not. It's just like here's your X Force team. They're assembled. Great. Here's apparently Domino, I read that they planned they planned some extra audition stuff, and one of them was going to be Chris Evans as the Human Torch. <laughs> yeah, but I they keep, didn't get as far. I keep as seeing it. articles shared saying the movie got so close to including Chris Evans as the Human Torch. Apparently they had the idea and then just went ah no we'll just do this instead yeah <laughs> so it wasn't it wasn't something that was close i don't think it was something that chris evans was ever aware of or uh 
probably whoever owns the Fantastic Four rights for that matter. But uh, yeah, but yeah, they, they just they just introduce these characters and go, yeah, there you are. That's your team. And again, I think this is brilliant because this is what this goes back to. I think James, you were saying like this obviously completely wrong footed me. James, James, do you want to pull out your quote now? (laughs) Yeah, when I was talking to Seb after the movie, I was saying, I can't wait to remind you of you telling me, like, do you remember when you were like, is the the gem in Vision's head an Infinity Stone? And we were like, no, 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 no. Now, do you remember... I, no, I remember this entirely, and I think this. I think this is why this scene works so well <laughs> yeah, because you, they cast. You're telling us you don't cast Terry Crews unless you're building a franchise. But that's that's why I think this is genius because they <laughs> cast people of just the right amount of fame. Where it's like Bill Sarsgaard, Terry Crews, <laughs> Rob Delaney's your comedy entry. I mean, like uh, Brad Pitt, whatever. But we did we didn't know that. But it it was so. It, this is why it was so perfect that you saw that list of names and went. They are nobody. I saw that list of names and went, they are somebody. And that's what the film wants you to do. It's believable enough that this is the X-Force team. But also when they die, you're like, oh shit, that's brilliant. And I remember at the time talking about how fucking dumb it was on the Suicide Squad um, episode. That like the, the, the Slipknot death isn't surprising because he's the one character they haven't <laughs> introduced and then they kill him. And I was like, that's your amazing opportunity to do this thing that completely wrong foots the audience and kills one of your major characters in the first half hour. Deadpool waits about 45 minutes, but it kills all of them. Well, <laughs> Apart from there's, another, there's a, actually an additional layer on this. I've also just realised that it reminds me of something else, which I'll, I'll bring up in a bit. But there's an additional layer on this as to why, as a fan of comics, this managed to be a brilliant piece of misdirection. <laughs> and the reason for that is that I did not know that one of the X-Force team was going to be Zeitgeist. No, no, that wasn't announced as far as I know. Yeah. So, uh, do you know who Zeitgeist is or what he's from? Oh no, no idea. Absolutely no idea. Yeah. So let's 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 have a mini history lesson because we haven't done an explainer concept. So, in early two thousands, like two thousand and one, Marvel kind of totally revamped the X Men books, and the main thing that they did was they put Grant Morrison on on. Uh, it wasn't Uncanny X-Men, was it? It was Adjectiveless X-Men, which became New X-Men. And this is where Negasonic Teenage Warhead got introduced. I think so. Right? Yeah, yeah, it was Morrison's yeah. run. Yeah. I mean, no, um, well, this was this happened actually before um, before Morrison was on X-Men. This, oh, was it? Did X-Force yeah. start before? Okay, but it was it was it was in the same year. It was when Marvel were in that um early Cassada as editor in chief, the Cassada Gemus era, where they launched the ultimate books, they launched Alias. Like Marvel between like two thousand and one and two thousand and four threw a lot of shit at the wall, some of which stuck and was fantastic, and some of which was absolutely dreadful, but they were doing a lot of interesting stuff. And one of the things they did was they revamped X Force. So X Force had been running <coughs> almost ten years. 100-odd issues, doing variations on pretty... I mean, James, you might know better than me, but basically doing variations on pretty much the same thing that it'd been doing since it started. I mean, there were... Yeah, basically, which was like they were the X-Men team who went out and went after the threats. Like, there were some other yeah. versions, like there was a Road Trip X-Force version that was quite good, but yeah, basically. Yeah. And was X-Force... Was X-Force the... It, Rob, Rob Liefeld actually <laughs> created them, did he? 
uh he created some of the characters but mostly they like the bulk of the team were sort of the remnants of new new yeah but the the the, the team and the concept and the book was him in it spun out of his new mutants because didn't didn't he he's yeah he he took over new mutants kind of he basically turned new mutants into x-force yes yeah, Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah yeah right um so what they did in 2001 was they brought in peter milligan who was a British writer best known for doing lots of weird shit at, at Vertigo. So he'd done Shades I saw of... him in Forbidden Planet in Shasta Avenue. <laughs> I wouldn't I know what just, he looked I was like, just there. To, I was just there to browse some stuff and loads of people queuing up. To oh, he was designing. That's why, that's how yeah. he knew he was. Uh, yeah, so he did like Shade the Changing Man. He did a brief run on Animal Man after Grant Morrison. Um, lots of, yeah, kind of weird, interesting stuff. Um, and the artist was Mike Allred, uh, who I'm sure you know. Um, ab- you know, absolutely fantastic, but very, very stylized, and certainly not an artist you would expect to be on <laughs> something on like X Force. And what Milligan did was he totally revamped the book with an entirely new cast of characters, and what it became was a satire on celebrity. So it basically became this was an X offshoot team whose job was to be TV personalities and celebrities as much as they were superheroes. Um, it's a great book. It, it what happened was they they did it as X Force for like about twenty issues, I think, mm-hmm. and then renamed it X Statics, and it had about another twenty odd issues. Um, I won't go into it too much detail now, but um, well, I, I was going to do it as the stuff to recommend to read later, but I'm talking about it now anyway. But um, it kind of went off the rails a little bit towards the end, but it did some really interesting stuff for a while, really interesting characters. But what they did in the very first it's a terrible issue, title, by the way, absolutely terrible title. That's actually that's a gag in the book. Yeah, yeah. Right, in okay. the in the Fair book, enough. everyone hates the name after they rename from being X Force. Yeah, right. Um, but the problem is the name was suggested by a team member just before she died. Um, so everyone else feels like they have to go through with it. Um, so, but yeah, so in the first issue, they introduce an entirely new X-Force team and then they kill off all but two of them to replace them with the new, actual new team. But the leader is Zeitgeist. So Zeitgeist appeared in one issue and then he appears in flashback later on and then it turns out that he was actually partly responsible for them all being killed. It was like a surprise attack that he was supposed to survive, but he accidentally gets killed. Um, So the point is, as soon as Zeitgeist turned up in this movie, I was like, one, I was like, I cannot fucking believe that you have got a Peter Milligan X-Force character in this movie. Where the hell are we that, that this is actually a thing that's happening? Even if you've just taken the name and the powers, how is this a thing that is happening? Secondly, my thought was, oh, okay, so they're going to go on their mission and Zeitgeist is going to get killed horribly at the very start. So <laughs> I was there thinking one of them's going to get killed and then all of a sudden Terry Crews crashes headfirst into a bus. <laughs> Yeah. And then it's just and even how they killed Zeitgeist, the fact that he's up to his waist in the the, the, in the chipper Witcher. thing, um it, it that's not how he dies in the comic, but in the comic when he dies his entire bottom half is blown away and it's just his top half with his guts and stuff hanging out. So it's you know um it, I think they were doing a deliberate reference there. What's really interesting with that sequence as well is that that is the sequence that most feels like a Garth Ennis comic because there's actually a specific sequence in hitman with section eight who are the terrible superhero team um that are basically a a bunch of weirdos and led by a drunkard um and 
some of them have powers but their powers are all basically totally useless um like one of one of them their powers he has a character called friendly fire and he fires like energy blasts from his hands but he can never hit what he's aiming at he only ever hits his own teammates or himself um and another character called jean de baton baton whose power is that he hits people with french bread um but there's but there is an issue of hitman where they are actually the last line of defense against a threat that is attacking and so they all roar into battle and it's like for the first time you actually see them all going into battle and they all immediately die in horrible ways and horribly inept ways um and actually because it because i do kind of think something coming out of deadpool is that dc should be doing an adaptation of Hitman because Hitman could be their Deadpool mm-hmm. and could do the the satire of the genre while playing some aspects of it stray and uh, yeah it's just anyway don't let me get started on a rant about how Hitman could be DC's Deadpool but it absolutely could be um, but yeah so so that sequence was just like one of many things or one of at least several things that this film does where I was just I can't believe what I'm seeing here this is ballsy and hilarious and completely unexpected. Yeah, it was uh, it was my favorite sequence in the movie just because I think it, there there is a delight in being fooled as an audience member and yeah. um I yeah, I I I just think they played it to perfection. I think the casting was great. I think the pacing of that sequence was great. The humor of it with the way that it was set up with Deadpool because like the I got I got the luck gag with Domino straight away that like okay Deadpool is going to be like that that's not a that's not a power but what I didn't think is that she would in five minutes be the only one that was left <laughs> of all of them and it almost it almost took me to like the second or the third death because I couldn't quite bullet yeah like, do you know the one where I realised what they were doing wasn't so much Bedlam I thought that was I didn't even think he was dead when he crashed into the bus it yeah. was Shatterstar. It's yeah. it's when yeah. Shatterstar <laughs> flies into the helicopter and you're like, oh shit, they're killing yeah, him They're off. killing off the actual named characters. And right there, we had like uh, James, he, he, again, I'm imagining you must have loved it, them like name checking the Mojo verse and <laughs> yeah, like, him having like Shatterstar alien blood. Is actually and, yeah. Shatterstar. <laughs> There's just, yeah, just comic book nonsense going on everywhere. Um, but it's also, I mean, aside from that being a really great moment, it's the it's the moment where Domino gets to come into her own and be really badass. And the, the joke about the about her powers not being very cinematic and then seeing all that stuff is great. I, I think Zazie Beats is... Um, yeah, I just keep going back to the phrase breath of, breath of fresh air. She just feels like so, like, this performance is so utterly in her stride and it feels like someone who, it's not their first big movie appearance. It feels like someone who's just like, yeah, I've been called in to do this yeah, thing. I it's, can do it's, this. I can do this in my sleep. I'm great at this. I, I think I think she's absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think she's just like, I, the, the word I used to describe it when I was talking to James was electric. Um, and it's just like, Every moment that she's on the screen, you kind of want her to always be on the screen, because um, it and it's just the it's the confidence and the it, what what it felt to me a little bit like was it was a it was a hold my beer to Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie, <laughs> um, but I mean yeah, the thing the, the thing that I got from the character and performance was completely like Domino is one of those characters who probably has a few fans, but 
generally speaking, in 20 years of appearing in comics, like more than 20 years, probably closer to 30 years of appearing in comics, she's never really had that much impact. And yet you see her on screen in this incarnation and you're just immediately like, wow, people are going to be beating down the door to read some Domino comics. Like, it's just, it's immediately transformative. Because because luck is a cool luck is a cool power. It is. Um, it's a cool power. It's hard to write, and I think yes, Deadpool yeah. completely got how to how to do it. Like there have been a ver- there have been various takes on how Domino's powers work in the comics because it's so sort of nebulous. But I think it's easier to give that sense of things falling into place when you've got the cinematic action. Do, like do you just, mean when a, you when you nick it from the look virus in well, Red that, Dwarf? Because that's it, pretty much what they were doing. It's just I, I seriously doubt they've seen Red Dwarf. To be honest, it's well, just, there it's was reversed. the bit where it's they where she knew the number for the well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And as I said, probably Harry Potter has the most famous luck sequence. I would think. Outside, I, I did, I did, I'm with you, Seb. I go straight to Red Dwarf in my head, but um, yeah, yeah she, she's she's great. I again, I just don't think there's much there beyond the performance. And I, I don't know whether you disagree with me on that one, but for me, it was like it, when they tried when she was like, "Oh, there's there's a reason I'm be, I'll be here, and we'll figure it out at the end." And then when they went, she goes, "Oh yeah, I went I went to this orphanage." And I'm like, oh, is that it? She's like, oh, yeah, I got tortured here. And I was like, that doesn't sound very lucky. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, mutant... But, oh, no, I was going to say mutant powers don't manifest until a certain point, but then she wouldn't be there if her mutant powers yeah. hadn't manifested. So. Yeah. Checkmate. Sin- if, if it was sinister, he'd have known she had an X-Gene that was waiting to activate. Ah, there we go. Yeah. Because actually, some of those kids were quite young, and I don't think their mutant powers would no. have manifested Head yet. Head cannon might... Like, the alternative is... Collect a bunch of kids, wait and see who's a mu- who's a mutant by subjecting them to extreme stress. But also, it didn't. It just it didn't. Oh, it, it was felt like in the extreme, like yeah. The movie, the movie was just like we want to feature Domino. Why? Because of because because. Yeah, I mean, because. this comes back to the whole thing, which is that Deadpool Two is so much weaker in almost every aspect of its story. Probably yeah. every aspect, even I can't think of anything where it is. In it's story, it's not got story, a very well constructed terms. story or arc, and it is not paced brilliantly yeah, at all. But um, the like but the first me, the first yeah. film the the first film I'm not sure whether the first one is the first one just hides it in a very chopped up structure. Yeah. The first it film's has, a breeze though. It, it doesn't. No, it's paced well. It is paced well. I will agree with you on that. Um, but it is it's it's slight in the extreme. Like that, there is. I don't think it's slight so much as simple, which isn't necessarily the same thing. Like I think there's a lot yeah. of like every character gets a good little story in that film, more or less. Um, it's just not I think very this, complicated. I think this might be the 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 difference then for us in where in where we where we differ on this film, aside from aside from you know the comics referencey stuff that just. For me, aside from like maybe a few big moments, like the X Force moment, those moments I loved. But actually, um, the the hit rate of the gags was so similar to me from the first movie that it didn't. I I, I couldn't eat those big moments. Couldn't make me enjoy it more than the first one. Yeah. See, for me, like ev- basically all of the jokes that I didn't like were gone and replaced with ones that I did like, and kind of 
uh what would i say like i can forgive any problems with a comedy as long as it's making me laugh and this was making me laugh all the way through like like i cannot even remember the last time i laughed this much at a film can i um i i know i said there were two things that really soured me on this movie um it's especially the first half hour, forty five minutes, and obviously I talked about the first one being the the fridging. Mm-hmm. The second for me, James, was it? I can't remember whether it was the first. I don't think it was the first Deadpool. I think it was something else that we were talking about. What is the what is the superhero movie that? Or it might maybe it was Daredevil or one of the TV shows where you were just like, oh my god, I'm having kind of an existential crisis here that the, the like <laughs> that, the violence is so <laughs> regular and cavalier. It was it, it was the Daredevil season two Netflix show. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I, I'm watching the first five ten minutes before Vanessa dies and seeing all of this violence and the film really wants you to laugh at the violence and it wants you to find like the concept of one of the guys in the orphanage at the end being decapitated by a filing cabinet hilarious and it wants you to find these like that these... was quite funny, <laughs> I was gonna say but that's and but that's right but it's it was correct too but the entire film is playing violence, grisly violence, and murder for laughs, which the film is, like you said, at times successful with. I kept coming back to the fact that through what we what sounds like negligence, a stunt performer died on this movie, and it was it was in my mind watching it from very early on, and it made me very uncomfortable watching the the kind of yeah this this really this really cavalier approach to the violence this really death as a punchline approach which it's not it's not the film as a piece of art's fault but it was a it was a shadow that hung over it for me and i know like for some people this is going to be i mean as seb i think we spoke about it for some people it's going to be the tj miller thing that hangs over it but for me it was it was that, and I think at the end of the movie, because um, it, it, is it Joy Harris, Joy Joy yeah. Harris, I think, and I and I think there is a credit at the end of the movie that um, Joy S J Harris, that's it, and I think I think she's credit is S J Harris, maybe at the end, and so dedicated to. But yeah, I mean, all of the reporting around it made it sound like it was something more than just a tragic accident. That there was like. I think there there was claims that she didn't have the correct training and that well, she was. Yeah, kind of... the report I saw was that a she was she wasn't trained as a stunt biker. She was just a former racer, and b they were supposed to supply a helmet that would fit under the wig for Domino, but they didn't because it they, yeah it hadn't been made yet, so they just made her do the stunt. And the suggestion that she was basically she was doing the stunt because because she was a black woman who they could yeah yeah and that's why there wasn't a, a like a white stunt performer who mm. maybe was available with the creature i mean we it, it's a it, you know it's probably not our place to speculate about all that but it 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 did happen and it did yeah there was just a the, between that and then the and then the fridging it just it took me a long time to get back on board with the movie and that's the thing that that's something that I brought to the film. But yeah, it took me a while. It really did take me a while. Maybe maybe until the X Force sequence. And yeah, 
I, <laughs> I mean, not not particularly like, pleasant. Kind of thing, it, no one like I, you know, I don't want to excuse a film or a production for letting someone on it die. Like I would never do that. At the same time, pop culturally speaking, I don't think there's like what you know. What's the solution to that? Because generally speaking there's a problem with ultraviolence in almost every aspect of sort of cinematic and televisual mm. entertainment at the moment. Yeah, yeah, but there is there's a there's a particular there's a particular glee and a particular playing it for the playing it for the last thing. I mean this is the I I, I love John Wick. This well, I mean, is the okay. this is the co-director of John Wick. So there's no cons- there's no <laughs> consistency from me here. It was just it was just something I brought to the movie that I couldn't I think no. for me, like I, I prefer the sort of cartoonish comedy approach of Deadpool because there's no suggestion that we're supposed to find this in any way realistic. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's like that, that, stu- that stuff at the start is very kick-ass, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. It's... Like it's so cartoonish. Whereas in Daredevil, what you have is like this ultra-realistic, like people getting stuff, their eyes gouged out, and it really lingers and mm. focuses on it. And in particularly in the Marvel Netflix stuff, I don't feel like they adequately question, like, is this okay or are we just fucking psychos? Um, mm. Whereas in Deadpool, like, it's so off the wall immediately. Of course it's comedy. Like, it's slapstick. Yeah. It's not But it's it not goes... Violence. It goes from, yeah, that slapstick, it's not violence, it's it's just, you know, it's it's all ridiculous to two minutes later a major character is dead from a, a bullet wound through the heart. Like so that was that was again at that that moment jarred so much for me because I didn't like what it was doing and also I was like, oh, but that's not that's not this world that's not the world that you've mm-hmm. put me in. Yeah, yeah, it's fair. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to so because I thought I'd probably I should mention it given that I said there were two things at the heart of this movie <laughs> that that turned me on it. Well, no, like it's um, always worth discussing, and I think that's something that doesn't doesn't get talked about enough in especially in action movies is like <sighs> normalization of violence i yeah, think there's particularly there's, gun use yeah and like, and uh, well i told you it, it it left a sour taste to me in thor ragnarok in that movie where suddenly uh, it's scourge isn't it? it turns up with like an ak-47 i'm like really <laughs> is that in this world do we need that thing and also a, a good a good opportunity to drop this reference in a podcast where who knew we'd be able to make it, but Bucky and his fucking gun. The worst. <laughs> the absolute worst. A superhero. Robot arm and a gun. <laughs> um, so uh, 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 let's pivot to a moment in the middle of the movie where just a, a, after, at the end of the action sequence that follows the X-Force introduction, which is probably... A, a really great effective moment of super of ultra violence where Deadpool gets literally ripped in half. <laughs> and it's, and it is funny. It's really, because Deadpool is a cartoon character. He literally is. He's a Looney Tunes character. Yeah. And when he, and when he gets ripped in half, he's got, it's like, Oh my God, when you said it, I didn't think you actually meant you were going to do it. <laughs> it's the, it's, it's, um, it's it's the classic uh, Hulk Wolverine thing. And I remember in Ultimate Hulk versus Wolverine yeah. opens oh, yeah. with yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Wolverine being ripped in half by Hulk, and then flashes back to why. But um... but what Ultimate Hulk versus Wolverine didn't have is 
a scene where Wolverine's baby legs and penis grow back afterwards. Yeah, I that was that's <laughs> the point where the film felt to me the most like the stuff I didn't like in the first film. And that scene went on far yeah, too that, long that and I could me, really like, have done without it. Was maybe it was maybe funny in the first instance, but yeah. After 20 minutes of it, I was like, okay, we get it. Penises yeah. are funny, whatever. <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> oh, <that show. laughs> I We're not going to agree on anything. I thought it was really funny. <laughs> so there the we vision. are laughing at the fact that Rob Liefeld can't draw feet, and there you are laughing at baby cock and balls. Listen, this is what Ryan Reynolds came from. This, <laughs> this is what this is. Fifteen-year-old Joey seeing Van Wilder for the first time, going, "This is the coolest man in the world." Um, <laughs> Um, I just, I just really, really laughed. Um, I, I was, I, I only read one review of this movie before I went in, um, and it was John Nugent's review in Empire, um, and I really like John's writing, um, in general, but I was, um, I read this line where he says, whether slicing up scoundrels in a pair of stilettos or embarking on the most ballsy basic instinct gag ever committed to screen. And I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, John, don't ruin the jokes. And now I obviously know what the basic instinct gag is going to be. It's a basic instinct gag, but with balls. And uh, yeah, yeah, little did I know that John had not spoiled that joke. <laughs> John, John had, if anything, undersold it. <laughs> and I... I, I uh, yeah, the tiny legs were funny. The yeah, I just I I loved it all. It was it it was great. <laughs> it was puerile and immature, and that's what I'm here for. <laughs> I, what I want from Deadpool is more in-depth, metatextual deconstruction of superhero movies <laughs> and dick and ball gags. I mean, if you can do both of those at the same time, I'm happy. There was there was a scene for me that was like that in this film. And it is the one where probably I think the first time Cable and Deadpool fight properly. And for some reason they start having an argument about dubstep. I was <laughs> doubled over in my seat, like incoherent with laughter during that scene. And at the same I time, I can completely <laughs> understand anyone who's just going, what the fuck are they talking about? Like, Yeah, that was, was me. That was, was me for dying. that one. <laughs> I was literally, I've never laughed. Doesn't he later on make a reference to how some of the viewing audience will have had to look up <laughs> what dubstep is? Dubstep, yeah. He says, if you take anything from this film, aside from going home and Googling dubstep. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get that one. <laughs> but you know what dubstep is. For me, is, it's Joe. like the pettiness no, get... of arguing about dubstep in the middle of a giant superhero fight. I, I like the, the, what I liked was the fact that <laughs> usually in that kind of situation where you've got grim futuristic <laughs> robot man from the future yeah deadpool would make a reference to dubstep and cable wouldn't know what it is <laughs> the fact that cable does know what it is they still have it in the future yeah. and, and he, he doesn't like it that's what made that work for and me. then to like drop skrillex over the top of it amazing i would yeah. i would re-watch the film just for that scene I, I I like I liked generally the soundtrack actually. Um, I assume that that having uh, the Pina Colada song was them doing a Guardians reference, but um, I, no, I don't think it was. I, don't, I really don't think it oh, was. Come on, you can't use that film, that song in this year and not have it at least didn't peripherally. Su- didn't didn't Suicide Squad use a track from Guardians? 
certainly on the trailer it wasn't yeah but you can imagine them doing it less knowingly um but no i well, what was the, did what, what we, was the did gag you... then what 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 was the gag in using pina colada i thought it was just here's one of we've got a soundtrack with all of these various songs on it like guardians and here's one of the ones that's actually from guardians it's just yeah. what i thought they were doing there it was, it was that... like we're doing what guardians is doing <sighs> literally yeah, this is but, exactly what I mean about it being Seth well, MacFarlane style. Well, no, 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 no because Suicide Squad did that thing of like, oh, Guardians had lots of pop songs. Let's have lots of pop songs, and where whereas Deadpool was doing it like, you know, films are trying to copy Guardians. Let's just copy Guardians. Like that's the joke is that they're trying to copy Guardians, but they're just literally copying it. Yeah, I mean, it, no, I'm sorry. The, the, criticism of the Seth MacFarlane way of doing it, which is also the the x movie way of doing it is to explicitly say what your joke is before you say it before you do your joke if you're if you're just letting it hang in the air you're not doing that type of lazy reference humor you're putting you're putting it there for people to get or not get but what i mean just just coming back to what i was going to say about the soundtrack was i i don't know if either of you stayed until the very end of the credits yes. and heard the proper version of the because i loved what yes, they did I, with yeah. that juggernaut theme um while it was going on during the fight sequence i was so disappointed um, to find that not on the spotify soundtrack oh is it not is the i didn't realize i well i couldn't tell the version of take on me that's in that bit at the end i was like is that actually like a newer recording of morton harkett singing it and it turns out it was like according to the the listing at the end it was a live version by aha from years later Um, but i liked that that was good and it was also there tomorrow yeah that was i think that was the music use that came closest to matching what the first film did with the opening title sequence uh with angel of the yeah Warrior. yeah yeah i i thought that i i, I liked that i thought it was funny at, at an orphanage playing little yeah. orphan annie yeah great um See, but again, but sh- Joe, are you not complaining that Deadpool didn't turn to camera and go, "Hey, this is the music from Annie playing at an orphanage"? Because that sounds to me like this is—that's your biggest criticism of this film—that he doesn't do that enough. I know. I just think there's an inconsistency. I'm lampooning you, he Joe. Does... It's a simple lampoon. But he does. But my point is, he does do that a lot, and then at other times he doesn't. So I'm not convinced that those are jokes. No, then no, that's the point. He doesn't say. He doesn't make a joke and then tell you what the joke is. He makes a a reference that if you don't get it, you're not having the reference explained to you. So he has that Martha line, but he doesn't go... He doesn't tell you that it's a joke from Batman v Superman. It relies on you knowing that it's Batman v Superman, which is different from the Friedberg and Seltzer way of having oh, yeah, a character no, uh, rock yeah, up in sorry. a costume am... telling you who they are or the family guy <laughs> way of hey this is like when i was and telling you what it was before actually showing you it yeah i'm not i'm not um i'm certainly not saying this movie is on the free big salsa level i still think it is fu- I, again i still think it is very funny i just don't think it does as much as it could i think uh, maybe i'm giving it not enough credit and you're giving it too much or maybe we're both one of us is right and one of us is wrong who knows? The listeners will decide. And I'll agree with you because everyone does like this movie more than me. Let <laughs> <laughs> uh, James, talk about your pure, pure joy when the Juggernaut and Colossus were fighting. I just, I don't see, given that the first X-Men film came out 18 years ago, 
how did it take us this long to have anything that looks like Colossus and the Juggernaut fighting? Because like the one thing you can say about Marvel's movies is they always remember like, oh yeah, what's the cool thing about this character? Let's do that. So like you had Iron Man using his Unibeam, for example. You had Hulkbuster armor. Like Captain America, you know, and Thor having a fight and the, they hit the shield and there's a big shockwave. Like they take all these moments from the comics and put them in the film. And that's all you need to do to make people go, yes, cool. Whereas the X-Men movies, they're so, like, I don't want to say up themselves. Like, they're so convinced that they're serious movies about discrimination. That's the best, that's the best joke in, that's the best superhero <laughs> reference in the movie. Yeah. Where, dated, where dated it's like, reference, oh, 60s reference. For 90s, for 90s, racism, 60s yeah. racism. Yeah. <laughs> Like, they're so really convinced funny. that they're serious movies that they forget to have these cool moments. And they, they've missed so many of them. That just to be in a, in a Deadpool movie of all places that goes, oh yeah, let's do Colossus v. Juggernaut. Sure, And why make not? it look cool. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I could have done without him having a cable shoved up his ass or whatever, but I'm not yeah. going to penalise it too much just for that. Because you know there are stoners movie, watching this movie too, and they need something to something. <laughs> the movie is is treading a delicate balance between Deadpool being the one cartoonish character in a world of less cartoonish characters, and but it it, it feels like the further we get into this, that the more of the other characters are tipping the balance in that direction. You know, like it's Deadpool hasn't become an X Men, an X Man. <clears throat> Colossus has become a member of Deadpool's team. Yeah. That's that's what's happening here and I can only imagine that that, that you you'd get you'll get a slightly more a slightly less archetypal cable in an X-Force movie. He'll st- he'll still be straight down the line grim and serious, but he'll probably do something like like what Colossus does in this movie. I'd be surprised. I kind of hope they don't do that because I can see moving Colossus a bit closer to Deadpool. I think if you're going to do Cable, you have to make him unrelentingly gritty and grim. Yeah, but he can be, but it can also be doing something that's stupid. Yeah. But yeah. just to achieve a goal. Yeah, can, I'd, just, I'd, yeah. while we're, just while we're on Cable, did you notice whether he got a name in this movie? Because I think he did and said wasn't sure i well i just i didn't remember it yeah. in being named i don't remember seeing summers see i i'm fairly sure i remember him being called nathan summers but them not referencing cyclops or anything just they de- they definitely name. they definitely didn't say anything about any familial connection or anything yeah. like that yeah um i i do wonder i i do wonder whether deadpool still feels like it is slightly in a limbo of how much it can tie into. Like, I know the joke is, oh, you can't have the X-Men. Oh, there they are. But I do wonder whether there's still the slight wonder of like, just we're not sure how to do it yet. So we don't want to like say that Cable is the grandson or the son or whatever of Scott and Jean and then not be able to do Mm -hmm. it. And we don't want to reference that character because we might actually use that character elsewhere. Or we don't want to make a joke of this, so we we can kind of reference that. Oh yeah, it's still it's still that Juggernaut the has a brother. But what I also did, um, I I I don't know how much you guys were aware of Deadpool 
as a movie concept before the first Deadpool movie came out. But that was it was something that I'd been tracking for ages because I loved Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> and Ryan Reynolds had talked about trying to make this Deadpool movie for so long. Um, and he, he uh, referenced Empire again. He did a really good interview with Empire at one point um, where he was just like really open about like, yeah, this is what I wanted to do. We've written a script. We don't think that the studio, like at the moment, they've got it. They can pull the trigger on it whenever they want. But at the moment, they're not doing. But yeah, we'd love to do it, yada, yada, yada. And then st- started talking about stuff that had been in various drafts of the script. And... Uh, quite a lot of what I remembered like turned up in little bits and pieces in this movie particularly in the end credit scene that idea of walking in on Ryan Reynolds reading a Green Lantern script (laughs) and shooting him in the head I remember Ryan Reynolds talking about that scene five six years ago (laughs) Um, and 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 like killing uh, like the original Wade Wilson from Deadpool the funny thing I found about that was was the re- the respective reactions there in the screening that I went to because you got the the Wolverine origins bit and I was just absolutely in bits about that like the moment it first showed the shot of him and then everything that it did and actually cutting him into the footage the way that they did it was it was beautiful <laughs> and I was roaring with laughter but it wasn't getting the whole room. And I was like, do some people, do people, is that film really that poorly remembered? But then the Green Lantern bit got a round of applause after that. That that got, when I say everybody, like a lot of people had left, everybody who stayed gave that bit a round of applause and just, you know, and that was, (laughs) it was just amazing. Um, I think that bit really landed for me having recently watched Green Lantern. Yeah, that helped, definitely. (laughs) It's the idea that he was happy to be in that film. (laughs) (laughs) What does he say? Like, now you've hit the big time or something. (laughs) Yeah, now you finally hit the big time. (laughs) Yeah, I I thought that was um, was But that's also, that's what I mean about, like, I think, you know, we we talked about the first film doing some of the stuff it doesn't obviously the first film's got that gag about you know don't don't make the suit green and it's like this film just goes so much further with making those jokes than the first one was allowed to that it makes you feel like the first one was quite tame with how it did the meta jokes because this one is just relentless with them yeah i can't rem- yeah. i can't imagine the deadpool of deadpool 1 talking about actual comics that existed because it was still yeah. kind of in its own reality. Hmm. Yeah, um, and James. That I mean, that that bit with him rattling off appearances of the Juggernauts. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> I I do admire as well. Ryan Reynolds is always willing to make fun of himself. Did you guys watch the um, the David Beckham? Yeah, yeah. Film that that I I loved the bit like. A, Beckham's terrible in it, bless him. But Beckham starts li- listing off all of the movies that Ryan Reynolds should be apologising for rather than the David Beckham joke from the first movie. And uh, again, I kind of... Uh, it it reminds me about what I've always loved about Ryan Reynolds in that, like, here is a guy who has been in so much terrible shit, but he's kind of good in all of it. Like, it, there's there's not many Ryan Reynolds... And I love the gag in, in that... Um, in that thing where he like says Blade Trinity, I can't remember the other things he mentions. Um, and then he mentions Bolt Neck at the end. 
<laughs> Ryan Reynolds is like, oh, Deadpool's like, oh, no, that's a, ma- that's a, or is it Big Monster on Cap? Whatever the one, no, that's a masterpiece. And I think it's just, uh, there are I, things- lo- I love that, I love that self-deprecating stuff because there is something inherent to Ryan Reynolds that you, you have been a bit shit, but also fair play. <laughs> There, there are things where sometimes where you want you do want to go back and just imagine what it would be like if you told yourself like fifteen years or so or whatever that that something was going to happen, and I think up there is definitely there is going to be a Deadpool movie, well a second Deadpool movie, and in the publicity for that there will be a special thing shot with David Beckham who is now basically just a, a bankable celebrity in the US after his retirement, <laughs> like. The idea that David Beckham is essentially a Hollywood star um, and is appearing in a promotional thing for a Deadpool movie. Try telling somebody in the late 90s that that would be a thing that would happen 20 years later. <sighs> the the only thing that I despair uh, for Ryan Reynolds now is that at least when he was appearing in shit stuff, he would occasionally get to do an interesting project on the side. So like he would be, he would be like tossing off some nonsense and then get to make like a charming rom-com, like definitely maybe, which by the way, there's a credit to definitely maybe in the, in the end credits. <laughs> there's like a reference and I didn't quite catch it. So I don't know whether I missed oh, so it. Is definitely. it something about like footage from or, or you? Yeah, may- or something. maybe, yeah. maybe I, I, I don't, I, I just missed it, but I love definitely maybe it's a really charming movie. Um, and yeah, and, and could go off and make it like before his film before Green Lantern was buried, uh, which is yeah. I think that uh, might uh, even uh, be the first Ryan Reynolds film I ever saw. No, well, X Men Origins Wolverine was before buried, so probably not. Oh yeah, fair enough. But yeah, and I look at his career now, and I'm like, okay, so last year he was in Life and The Hitman's Bodyguard, which ugh, God, really bland, like. The Hitman's really bland was mainst- right, to be fair. Ugh, if, was it? I liked it. I laughed. Uh, I didn't. It was, it was um, a decent enough date movie. And then next year he's doing Detective Pikachu and he's doing a Hitman's Bodyguard sequel. I, I'm just like, oh, where's... Go off and make something smaller. Like, go back and make another Mississippi Grind, which you made the year before Deadpool. Find these interesting filmmakers. Do stuff that that not many people are going to see. Maybe he just you're, you're making make some money. No, you're making your Deadpool money. Go on, go, on, <laughs> go, go off and do something else. Let him buy a but, house first, and then he can then he can go back to doing <laughs> indie stuff. No one watches. Yeah. He's got all of the houses. <laughs> anyway, is there any, is is there anything we want to talk about in the in the like last act of this movie, or have we have we taught Deadpool to death? If we have talked him to death, he'll just keep on waking up again. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything I want to talk about? I do. We we've kind of touched on it, but we haven't actually specifically discussed it. But the action in this movie is one of the other things that I think is considerably worse than the first film. And that I find that surprising because I haven't seen John Wick, but I gather it's kind of... Yeah. Like slick gunplay, right? Maybe it was the other guy who was good at that stuff. <laughs> well, this, this <laughs> is what I was about to suggest. Because the when I rewatched the original Deadpool, that first action scene where he's like 
he's got 12 bullets and, you know, 20 people to kill. Like, it's one of my favourite action sequences from all cinema. Like, it's <laughs> just really funny, fun and original. And yet in this movie, what's... it's just a bunch of everyone's in the room and they're having a big gunfight or fist fight or car chase. So what's interesting is that Tim Miller was a, was a VFX guy. Mm-hmm. Like, that was that was his thing. And yeah, for him to get a big movie like that, it was almost like it was it was on the it was on the back of of his visual effects CGI background, and that like twelve bullets thing and that entire opening sequence is basically taking these quite simple elements of cars and people floating in slow motion, and then doing like a, a lot of it is like it, a lot of it is creating the illusion of budget and scale through mm-hmm. CG. Whereas um, John Leach, is it? Uh, who? Uh, so he co-directed John Wick with Chad Stahelski and Stahelski went on and did um, the the second John Wick as well. Um, obviously, Leach has gone off and, and done Deadpool. But yeah, they are very much stunt background. Mm-hmm. Which is then interesting that this movie is bigger budget and less of the kind of like small scale less of the like real tangible action and more of like the domino like when i think the action in this movie i think of domino hopping over the buses and that kind of thing and it and it feels like and, and i think of juggernaut fighting colossus and it all feels very cg green screen not real um and I, I wonder if that's why, that actually maybe the two directors were better suited to directing the other movie. <laughs> Do you know? <laughs> it's, 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 it's an interesting one because I, I, this didn't feel to me like a movie that had been directed by a guy with a stunt background. This felt to me like... Yeah, like the, that, it was a, that it was a big CG fest anytime you got to the action. <laughs> so... It's odd. We talk about Marvel. Marvel, like, there's there's pretty much the assumption now that any Marvel director kind of is coming on board not to direct the action. That they've got <laughs> yeah, their second, they've got, they've second got their unit second unit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, almost. Before and maybe that. Started. And maybe that's the case here. But then you're not hiring the John Wick guy for that, are you? You would imagine not. <laughs> you wouldn't think so. But yeah, I I do agree with you on the action. It's. I don't. I don't really feel like there's a huge. I, I really. I, I don't feel like there's a huge gap in the quality between the action because I think that the action was small scale but inventive on the first one, and it's big and it's and it's big scale but uninventive here, and it kind of comes out as a as a, you know. Well, that's that's kind of what I mean. The, the action. The action in this one is fine, but in the first yeah. one, it's actively impressive. Like, even when I wasn't enjoying the jokes in the first movie, I was really enjoying everything that was going on. Like, there was a real, really good sense of clarity to it and originality. Um, whereas in this one, just that... I'm thinking specifically of that car chase. I just felt like I'd seen this exact sequence a hundred times. When the, like, when the van was barreling, like, through buildings, I was like, this is, like, a less visceral version of the end of Fast Five. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, and like, then and then I cl- clicked onto his IMDb, and he's doing the well. Oh, the Age of Ultron's better, the much better action than this. Well, sure, yeah, but there's that big chase, like thing in a van. Everyone's chasing the van. Oh, that 
Oh yeah, but that's the bit I always forget from Age of Ultron. Yeah. Chase is bad. <laughs> the second, the second middle act. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That is. Yeah. That's that's the twenty minutes half hour of the movie that I doze off. I didn't doze off though, guys. I was awake for the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, there is something else that I wanted to talk about because we didn't actually. I think we name checked him, but we didn't actually talk about him, which was Peter. So he wasn't Peter. Uh, Wisdom. Oh, yeah, yes. Peter was Peter which Wisdom. was disappointing, but he can't be too disappointed with how he was actually doing the film. But actually, again, we talk about rug pulling. When it got to that bit with X Force, I still thought he would survive it, so I was yeah, still when surprised. He died, I was really shocked. Yeah, I was but, shocked. It was funny, and I was shocked and upset by it. Um, so that's that's the that's the way you do it. So character dies in a movie where death is 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 a comical occurrence. Character dies, and then the joke is that you revive him at the end in that time travel sequence. So it's great. It's great that Peter's back around and that he can potentially feature in the next film because Rob Delaney's great. And as I mean, said was titled, we only want good things for Rob Delaney. Yeah. Um, I, I did like how, you know, the, the reason why we thought it. he might be Pete Wisdom was that, was that photo. And that photo was just the result of a gag about how Rob Delaney has got older and fatter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did like that line. Am I being catfished here? <laughs> and Delaney was delightful. Oh, like, he was just, in, in yeah, short wonderful. time. Yeah. And we should mention the the. Uh, I mean, we spoke about this off mic. Deadpool is a marketer's dream. Like you, it you basically throw every idea at the wall, and it's probably going to work if you want to promote a Deadpool movie. Um, the Peter Twitter account for the last few weeks has been mm. delightful. I've enjoyed. I've enjoyed having that on my feed. It's the thing that I love about that Twitter feed is how much of it is devoted to beekeeping, and that's never in the movie. Yeah, there's a lot of, and lots of stuff with his wife again, setting up the idea that this was an actual team who were going to stick around. Uh, I've never been, I've never been so happy to be wrong. <laughs> we did wonder again. We were talking about this before, and we wondered if you were going to be happy or annoyed that oh, d- that your yeah. prediction was was so out. <laughs> I'm just glad we I got just, something sure. equivalent to the. Soulstone thing, uh, Mindstone thing. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah, I just think it's if a, if a movie has if a movie has like executed that gag to that level of perfection and pitched it so well, then you've just got to you've just got to like applaud. Well done, Deadpool. You made me look like a right old tit. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, um, guys, uh, Seb, you already mentioned your comic recommendation. Um, James, would you just want to recommend those Juggernaut issues that Ryan Reynolds recommends as part of the movie? Say, I want to go read some <laughs> Juggernaut comics. Uh, the one I specifically can remember from the film is X-Men Unlimited issue 12. It's a good Juggernaut issue where he's trapped inside the Citrac gem. It's one of my favourites. But yeah, go read some Juggernaut comics. There's also a really good Juggernaut one-shot. Um, not sure if it's on Comicsology or Marvel Unlimited, but uh, it's a story in which Try Juggernaut is the hero and he goes to like a small town and he's um, just, he meets this girl and they spend all the time drinking and then it turns out uh, there's a demon running the place and he fights the demon. It's really good. Brilliant. And and Seb, yours was Ecstatics, wasn't it? 
Yeah, and you know, despite the fact that Deadpool doesn't appear in it, like you know, it's only one character from this that yeah, appears. You don't want to in read a Deadpool comic. Very briefly. Well, exactly. No, I think yeah, reading the so it's it starts as X Force. I think it starts like X Force one one six, and then runs through. And then becomes Ecstatics. I would read it from the X-Force point, not from the Ecstatics point, even though Ecstatics is kind of a jumping on point. It was kind of better when it was X-Force. But it's just a really interesting... All that stuff you were saying about wanting an actual satire that has something to actually say about the superhero genre, um, you might get out of this. But you could also get out of various Garth Ennis comics, including Hitman. And uh, to an extent, The Boys, even. It it was when it was called X-Force that they did the Princess Diana story, right? No, that was when it was ecstatic. Oh, okay. So yeah, so that was a big controversy where it was announced that they were going to do a storyline where Princess Diana came back from the dead as a zombie and joined ecstatics. Um, but uh, <laughs> they had to pull the, back quite a lot from yes, that the press got wind of it and the Daily Mail got wind of it, and so they had to pull back, and so they turned it into she was a dead pop singer instead. And to be honest, that is kind of the point where the book started to go off the rails a little bit and sort of wonkily recovered a bit towards the end there was an avengers crossover that wasn't very good either um but it's still the whole thing is fascinating and worth reading and some stuff about it doesn't work but it's um yeah as i say some of the stuff that i think you would have wanted out of this um don't expect literally any character in it to be likable as well (laughs) right okay so um we'll move on now to uh yeah announcing our pitch for the minisode next week and um this is going to be interesting because it's something that I think is very hard to do, but I think you guys think is going to be very easy to do. Um, so we, you, you're, you're, we're going to have to work hard to meet in the middle. I want you to pitch me a Deadpool spin-off movie that doesn't include Deadpool in any way. <laughs> so you've either got to be spinning off like this corner of the universe or directly taking a character from this movie who isn't Deadpool and making them work as a protagonist. <laughs> if only we'd I already think, had a conversation about how that could say, work with I think, Cable. I think Seb and I are both thinking of the same idea as well. But we, we've also had a conversation about how I don't think a Cable solo movie would work. So if you want to pitch that, you're going to have to work hard to win me around. If you have enjoyed this show, I apologise. If you enjoyed this show, I didn't mean to be such a buzzkill. But if you did enjoy it, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Overcast, or your podcast app of choice. Or you can head to Spotify, because we're there as well. And if you want to support us, you can do that on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe. Thank you, Stuart Duffy, for that. What, 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 did, did, he, did he give us a give us a little bit of cash money? Yeah, a little bit. Ah, oh, thanks, Stuart Duffy. Much appreciated. Uh, it it makes it possible to do this podcast, and we like doing this podcast. Um, and you need to do your bonus episodes, guys. I've I've done mine. Yeah, although I will sure. on the I will say exclusively because I haven't actually put the post up yet. But if you're listening to this, you can go to our Patreon page and potentially win uh, an Iron Infinity War Iron Man Marvel Legends figure. Also, why 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 didn't I get offered that instead of giving it away as a prize? You know, I like the Iron Man costume from Avengers. It's all right. I wouldn't have. Uh, I haven't got room for it. We, yeah, we've got to give something to the Patreon people. <laughs> We're grown ass men, you guys. We 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 don't, we don't do a podcast where we talk about superhero movies and like toys of superhero things. That's not <sighs> just because you're a homeowner now. Yeah, I'm recording this podcast in my brand new house. First time I've lived in a house since I was uh, a kid at home. It's delightful. It's delightful, you guys. feel like such a grown-up.
And I spent this week laughing more than anything at the cock and balls joke in Deadpool 2. <laughs> uh, you can find more episodes of Cinematic Universe at cinematicuniverse.com, along with James's written review of this movie. Uh, you can get in touch via Facebook, on Twitter, at cine underscore verse, or send us an email to editorial at cinematicuniverse.com. Some people have been doing that in the last week. We didn't have like a news section in this in this episode to be able to respond to some of that, but we'll probably address any of your correspondence on the next mini. If, if we Got have any? time after running through forty newly announced DC shows, yeah. Tune in if you want to hear what we think about Pennyworth. <laughs> it's going to be a fun one. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Everyone's a hero in their own way. Everyone can blaze a hero's trail. Don't worry if it's hard. If you're not a friggin' tard, you will prevail. Everyone's a hero in their own way. Everyone's a hero in their... Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.